Hello and welcome back to a series of horrors podcast for the podcast that does deep dives into horror movie franchises. I'm Jackie from Canada. And I am Jeff from America. And today, to break the pattern of what we did a couple weeks ago, <laughs> we are going to be watching this time Scream 2. The sequel to Scream. (laughs) Yes. The bigger, badder sequel? I don't know about any of that. (laughs) Bigger is longer, right? I think it's longer. I don't know if it's because my internet speeds were so slow or if the movie was legitimately that long, but it felt longer. (laughs) I think this is the longest one. I think I was looking at the times, and I think this is actually the longest one out of all of them. I remember texting you thinking that I was halfway through because I thought it would be an average length movie, and I'm like, yeah, I'm this many minutes in. It has to be halfway through and then i looked and i was like no it's not halfway it's not halfway at all no <laughs> and i don't understand how a movie that where nothing happens is so long yeah it's just because they have so many more uh kills right and the kills are more elaborate than they were in the first one see so final destination 2 learned from this movie except that movie's better than this I movie forget final destination i know i know the you know, famous truck scene because every time you're on the highway and see something hanging off a truck, you think of it. And and plus you're in Canada, uh, so I'm sure they're transporting trees constantly up and down the highway. Yeah, there's been several times or like there was one time that um, it was like fence posts or something, right? So they're all like spiked posts like hanging off this truck. I'm like, Raj, can we please pass them? He's like, oh, don't worry, I'm trying. (laughs) I'm like, great. (laughs) That's the highway one. Yes, that's the one with uh, Clear comes back. I know that Clear comes back. I just, like, I forget the finer details other than the highway. That's the one where, like, how can I word it? That is, this is the one where they connected it to the first one by saying that these people lived because of the people that lived in the first movie. So, like, the girl that got run over by the bus, Mm -hmm. right? One one of the guys that was in part two was in the bus, but he was late for something and didn't get there. And he would have, like, died, got shot or something somewhere else. And somebody else that happened to somebody else. But he didn't get there because death was, like, fixing the plane crash. It was like ripples to what happened in the region in that one. So it's like, and everybody would have been dead already also. And then they also get saved again. So like they, they got really, I don't want to say meta because they, mm-hmm. what they're doing, I think five is my favorite meta one when they, oh my God, mind blown. <laughs> that's, that was, that's like the, the crux of that one. And then they say, screw it in the next one. We're going to just crash a, a, a roller coaster. And that's just, that's just is what it's going to be. <laughs> is that what the third one? I thought that was the fourth one. I don't no, remember. The third I roller really. Coaster. The fourth one, I think, is the hype. No, no, the fourth one is the racetrack. Oh, I didn't see that one. And then the fifth one is the highway. Mm. The fourth one is Well, bad. one day we'll cover that franchise, but today. Sooner or later, part six is coming. It got greenlit. Ooh. It's coming. So maybe for six, when six is coming out, so we might do those because I love those. those. I love. They're great. They're well done. Let's jump right into this movie, shall we? All right. So it's Scream 2, which was released December 12th, 1997. Once again, it's directed by Wes Craven and Rick written by Kevin Williamson. So, we open on a movie theater with a lineup, and the Marquet reads, sneak preview tonight only, stab. I just have questions about this movie theater. I remember, like, in the 90s, yeah, there were some elaborate movie theaters, sure. So there was one that, in Canada, it's called Famous Players. I don't know if you'd have that in America. And they had these really insane animatronics in their lobby. So around the NACIAs, what do you call it? Concession stand? That's the word. 
there was these like animatronic giant hands that were making fake popcorn that were on the ceiling. And then also on the ceiling, they had like the boat from Jaws and like random other things just hanging on the ceiling. Okay. Get you into the movie environment, I guess. I understand that. But this is like a random movie theater in a small town, I believe. It, what what town is Scream 2 taking place in? They don't ever say exactly. We just know it's far away from Woodsboro. Yeah. But we're not sure exactly so, where. <laughs> yeah. This relatively small college town. They have this giant animatronic arm with a knife to stab just for this one movie. So that means that the studio had to splurge for that. And then they also decided to splurge for costumes for all of the people who buy tickets. No studio does that. Fuck that. No, I don't even think they bought tickets. I think they were giving away tickets. Or that's how Omar has got a ticket, maybe. It's a sneak preview or whatever. So, like, maybe if it's, like, the sneak preview that's, like, hosted by the director or the cast or whatever, then I could understand the costumes and that sort of thing. But the giant animatronic. What? We're going to install this just for this? <laughs> just for this one movie. In this little itty bitty college town. It's not New York or like LA or something, like a big town. It's gonna be this little, hey, I can't even think of a small town right now where. Woodsboro's a small town, but everybody's rich, so it doesn't, they don't count. It's somewhere small, and I'm like, we're going to pay all this money to build all these things and give all these costumes. I need to Google to see if they did establish where they are. Where does Scream 2 take place? It's in Ohio. I thought it was. It's Windsor, Windsor College, Ohio. So, like, this small town in Ohio, and they are going to splurge for all this shit. It's the hotbed of horror movies, I guess. Or maybe they just know that um, Sydney goes to that school, so they just screw it. So let's just go all out for the time where Sydney happens to be living now, because we're making a movie on our life. It seems a little tacky to me <laughs> for the studio. But anyways. Tori Spelling is in it. But that's beautiful, because in the first movie, there's the joke of, like, with my luck, I'd be played by Tori Spelling, and then she is. Like, it was killing me because the girl that was playing, I guess, Casey in Stab. I was like, you look familiar to me, but I couldn't place her. Oh, Heather Graham? Heather Graham, yes. I had to look it up after. Mm -hmm. Like, you look like somebody I know. And she is somebody, well, I don't know her personally or anything. But I'm like, you look like somebody I've seen (laughs) Wait, you guys aren't best friends? (laughs) We're not besties. No, she never returns my calls. So I'm very disappointed in her. If only she was a Veronica. Uh, if only. And, but I did love how even in Stab, Billy Loomis is a lunatic. I love it. Like, he has crazy eyes. Luke Wilson, as him, though, is too dopey. Like, he's like, at that, he's like, gosh, like, and smacks his head. I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? But we're jumping ahead. Let's talk about <laughs> that. Far, really. <laughs> <laughs> so the camera pans through the lineup, and we focus on Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Eeps. Eps. So, Eps, Eeps. Eps. Eps, yeah. Okay. My, my apologies. Eps. Jada is complaining that she doesn't want to see Stab, that she should be studying. And Omar says that the tickets were free. So Jada keeps on complaining. We find out that her name is Maureen. She is complaining about the horror genre in general and how it is very unfriendly to Black folk. Which, accurate. No, nothing groundbreaking there for Jada, but maybe at the time, I don't remember. What was it like in 1997? Were we unaware of the fact that horror movies could be kind of racist? I don't think, nah, we were pretty aware of, because the slasher for genre was, is, was this, this is the movies that woke him up. And she wants to see the Sandra Bullock movie. Oh yeah, good old Sandy B. Yes, and I just looked it up. You know what movie Sandra Bullock came out with in 1997 that she would have wanted to watch? Mm, Forces of Nature. <laughs> 
No. That would have made sense for the joke. Speed. <laughs> no, that no, was you're close. It's Speed 2, actually. <laughs> speed 2. It's her, it's her 1997 movie. So, you know, hey. that's what Jada Pinkett wanted to go see. The great love story of Speed 2. <laughs> I mean, was Keanu in that one or no? No, Keanu wouldn't come back for Speed 2. So, I don't know. Maybe she thought that the love story of Sandy and the bus would continue. <laughs> it's, it's Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. Oh, good old William Dafoe. I love that in Spider-Man, he wears fake teeth when he is Mr. Osborne, but when he's the Green Goblin, he uses his real teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I know my real teeth are creepier. <laughs> I'm just going to use those. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and the, the good guy is Jason Patrick, some guy. I don't know who that is. That's been in things. Okay. I'll believe you. <laughs> I know from Lost Boys. Shameful Jackie moment. Never seen Lost Boys. <laughs> Okay, I've I've seen it once and I, I remember not liking it. So that's I hate Kiefer Sutherland. <sighs> I like Kiefer Sutherland. He's the worst of Canadians. I don't like him. He's an asshole. <laughs> oh, he's fine. I'm, I'm sure he's a terrible human being. But I'm I'm more of a fan of his dad's work than I am of. of oh Kiefer. yes, no, Donald no. Sutherland, great. Kiefer, no, he's trying to ride his dad's coattails and he's a fucking jerk. I I just <laughs> I grew up in the era of 24 when that was the show and I hated 24 so much. Did it so. from Canada? Because everything else does. So did it. Quite possibly. I mean, it was him and then Alicia Cuthbert. Both of them are Canadian, so maybe. Oh, Alicia, she's she's from uh, Happy Endings, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, man. She's so great in that. She's married to like a hockey player or something. She's like super Canadian. Yes. She she should appear on The Real Housewives of Canada if that existed. She should. It'd be great. <laughs> but like not as herself, as Alex from Happy Endings. Oh, oh man. <laughs> that would literally get me to watch it. Oh, God. That would be good. By the way, everyone, watch Happy Endings. That is what, that yes. is what you should take away from this conversation. Watch it. It is great. As you know, if you've listened to our previous episodes, Jeff and I have very different sense of humor, but we agree right. on happy endings. We oh, love happy I, endings. I I watched that. That is so funny to me. Still, I've seen that episode a bunch of times. And I'll still laugh. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I'll, I'll rewatch it time and time again. Actually, I had a max moment today. <laughs> so do you know, there was like one scene where like, they're just like, what do you think? He, what are you thinking about? And he's like, honestly, I'm thinking that if Mary Tyler Moore married like Michael Moore and then Stephen Moore and like whatever, she would be like Mary Tyler Moore, more, 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 more. Um, and so today I was watching Sex in the City and I the, had a dawning realization. So the main character, her name is Carrie Bradshaw. And then okay. at one point she gets engaged to this man named Aiden Shaw. So she would have been Carrie Bradshaw Shaw. <laughs> Yes. And then I started laughing to myself. There you are. <laughs> and I felt like Max. <laughs> then she would have married, like, uh, was Terry Bradshaw from the, the quarterback from the Steelers. <laughs> right? And keep this going. Terry Bradshaw, Shaw, <laughs> Bradshaw. Exactly. <laughs> keep this moving. Uh, okay. Well, speaking of keeping things moving, <laughs> let's keep this uh, recording moving again. What's happening here? So, this is the craziest opening night I have ever seen for a movie. People are in their costumes. They're just screaming and running through the aisles and chasing each other and doing all this stuff. At no point do they fully settle down. No, the movie starts. And they're still screaming, throwing things, like whatever. And I'm like, Unless you're going to see Rocky Horror Picture Show for the hundredth time in theaters, you, like this doesn't happen. You don't do that. You want to watch the damn movie. <laughs> like 
No one's seen this yet. I'm sure opening night of Rocky Horror Picture Show wasn't late, wasn't this rowdy. Like, no, that no, no, no. But maybe. I'm saying like, yeah, with like a cult kind of thing where you go to the theater for this thing and you have costumes and whatever. That makes sense. And I was telling Raj this and he's like, well, you've never been to a, Ro- a Marvel movie opening. I'm like, yes, I have. People are excited. Sure. Yeah. Some people are dressed up. Sure. But they aren't running through the aisles and being disrespectful. And as soon as that movie comes on, they're like, shut the fuck up. And if anyone talks, I'll murder you. <laughs> like... Pretty much, yeah. Here the movie starts, and they're like, it's like they've all seen it before. I'm like, have, what? Has this movie been out six months? I have no idea. Yeah, like it felt too much like uh, this is a cult favorite, and we all know what's going to happen. And not to mention, like, technically, if they put yourself in the, like, if you if Woodsboro was real, and this actually happened, this would be like a true crime thing, right? It'd be like a true crime story, mm-hmm. right? It'd be on like serial mm-hmm. or something, right? Mm-hmm. What movie of what true crime thing would have garnered this kind of wildness on opening night? Well, that's the thing. Like, But then you also have to consider what's a a horror movie that's based on real life. Is there one? Texas Chainsaw Massacre? No. Um, that's not real. I know it's not. It just, they just say it is. In the beginning, they based on these true events, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, like it, it would be like a movie about Ted Bundy being a campy horror movie and people treating it like this. I don't know. It would feel disrespectful to me if people were like treating it like this. Like, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, glad like, this person got murdered. Because like Casey in like oh, real life sound, was the town that mm-hmm. the sundown, the feared sundown. We literally just oh, yeah. talked about that. Which you talked about, <laughs> yeah, about the last movie, yeah. Oh God, what's wrong with us? Um, anyway, no. don't worry. Jackie heard you um, screaming at your iPods and stuff, and your iPads. And like, this is a town that's sundown. I guess yeah, they have made it a campy classic at this point, where it's like, oh, we play it every year, and like that. I guess, but it's it's further removed from the crime. It's, it's not one year later, and. Yeah, because this takes place maybe a year after the first movie. So two years Mm -hmm. after these murders actually took place. Uh, The first murder, though, Sydney's mom died two years ago. Mm -hmm. Casey and all the people from this movie died last year or maybe, let's say, a year and a half ago, you know, Mm -hmm. for funsies. Mm -hmm. And the people are just acting like, I don't know what. Yeah, it's just, but the movie does start and we see Heather Graham, as we discussed, and she's playing Casey. In this version, she's about to take a shower because, you know, there has to be a reason why she's going to die. And it's because she got naked for a shower. (laughs) That works. Hey, we didn't see a nipple. It doesn't count until you see the nipple. <laughs> Is that the rule? Okay, I gotta, gotta keep that one in mind. You clearly have not seen Mean Girls. It's a quote from Mean I, Girls. Correct. You're right. I have not seen Mean Girls. <laughs> well, you know what we're watching next movie. <laughs> no. Patreon. At the $150 level. We will be watching Mean Girls. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So... Uh, Maureen slash Jada. She starts complaining of the nudity. I agree with her. And then, oh, Casey is making popcorn while she's going into her shower. What? She's putting the popcorn on the stove, letting it pop while she's showering? That does not seem safe. You're right. <laughs> they just like, hey, she was actually making popcorn when she died, so we have to keep that in the movie or something? Yeah, exactly. And, but we wanted to get her naked, so we're going to do this. Like, so dumb. And then it's just like, okay, well, if Ghostface hadn't killed her, then she would have killed her because <laughs> she would have set her house on fire. Like <laughs> In Scream 1, the house did, well, it didn't burn down because it's too huge to burn down off the popcorn. <laughs> but it was, there was a fire. That's true. 
But anyways, okay, so Maureen is slash Jada is yelling at the screen, which again, I just watch these movies and all I can think of is the scary movie versions where like it's Brenda and she's just like having a conversation with the screen, like just being like, oh, oh no, bitch, what you doing? I can't lie. This happened to me on this part of this movie. I, well, not this part when uh, when uh, Omar is in the in the bathroom. I thought yeah. it was a scary movie version of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, okay, so Maureen, she goes for popcorn and she's all jumpy outside. And then there is some white girls that are walking past and they're saying that the movie is based on a real story. And as we know, it's based on the first movie. So Omar scares Jada when she tries to come back into the theater. He's wearing the ghost face mask that they gave him and he heads to the bathroom. There are two different ghost faces at the urinals and he doesn't want to stand in between them. So he decides to go to the stall. The first stall is taken. So he goes to the second. You want to explain the scene, Jeff? All right. Omar shouldn't have died doing this, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. (laughs) (laughs) He deserved better. He goes into one of the stalls to do his business. And then he hears a rustling in the stall next door. And he looks and he sees like, I think, two pairs of feet or something. So he goes, oh, man, something's going on here. So then he hears like muffled noises and he's trying like to eavesdrop what's going on. Puts his ear against the stall to get a better listen as to what was going on next door. Let's just say what was happening is what he thought was happening what was he really gonna hear anyway and what did you even want to hear that but that's whatever as he's doing that he gets stabbed through the wall into his ear yeah and it's it's a bathroom stall so aren't those doors usually metal or is that only in canada no they're metal if they're not metal they're like they're like a thick they're like a thick material regardless like they're not and how long is this knife and how did Ghostface know exactly where his guy's head would be? And how would he know that he was going to try to eavesdrop on him? It's like a whole bunch of things. He is not Jigsaw by a long shot. This is not meticulously planned. John Kramer is very disappointed in you. Yeah. And like, also, how did you know that Omar was the one that was going to go to the bathroom? Because like later we find out that there's he was targeted. How do you know that mm-hmm. he was the one who's going to go to the bathroom? That he was going to end up going into the second st- like what? It, none of it makes sense except that if I uh, give you a spoiler. So originally the killers were different. Do you know this? I do not. Okay, so a version of the script was leaked, and it turns out that they switched the killers afterwards because a version of the script was leaked. In the original version, there were three killers in this. Okay. And it was gonna be Debbie, as we find out later. It was gonna be Derek and Hallie, the roommate. So my only theory here is that like all three of them staked out the bathroom waiting <laughs> to see if Omar would come. So many of these had to fall into place for him to die. The way he died. Although this has reminded me of a story of my own of one time when I was working banquets back in the day and I went into the washroom and uh, I'm peeing and I just hear these strange noises from the stall next to me and it sounded like groaning and like moaning and I thought like someone was getting sick. So I was just like, hi, I'm sorry, are you okay? Like I'm one of the like wait staff. Did you need me to bring you anything? Blah, blah, blah. blah. And they're like, oh no, I'm fine. It's like, okay. So then I left the washroom and then I went into like do cutlery, which is right around the corner from the washroom and washed a couple walk out of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what was happening. Gotcha. Oh, they were fine. They were they were good. No problems here. They were here. fine. I was just interrupting their session with my peeing. <laughs> exactly. They were trying to be quiet and couldn't quite. You know, it's just like, uh. oh my gosh. Uh, anyways, okay, yes. Yeah, so stabbed in the side of the head. Omar dies 
and Ghostface and the two others leave the washroom. Well, actually, he waits for the two others to leave, like as if he's hiding from them. So then that doesn't make sense with my theory of um, being all in on it. But maybe they didn't want to give it away yet. I don't know. I'm just running around in a circle. Maybe two of them were in there, not three. (laughs) We're trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Um, (laughs) Ghostface uh, comes back into the movie theater and he's wearing Omar's jacket. So Jada doesn't really notice a difference. Then there's a scary part. So she goes and like grabs onto him to hide. And she notices that he has blood all over him and then he starts stabbing her and so she gets up and she's screaming and people just think it's part of the movie i just find this death scene the single most ridiculous like it there's a reason why they redid it in scary movie like this is just it's so over the top jada is overacting her her little lungs out i'm telling you she is just like going for it i just love the last bit where she's like doing a back bend and she's like ah! oh <laughs> like sudden just like <laughs> like okay all right jada yeah she gets up in front of the whole movie theater stands in front of the screen screen like grabbing her stomach and like screaming and then she does this weird back bend thing and then dies she was on her knees and then like does this back and like she looks like she's doing a dance routine <laughs> like i just yeah. don't <sighs> I don't get it. Oh, no. Yeah. So she insisted that the only way she would be in the movie is if they gave her a very dramatic death scene. If that's what she wanted, that's what she got. Like, all right. That happened. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but then we get font time. The font has improved. It's now our classic scream font where it's the sharp lines as opposed to mm-hmm. the chiller font. And then we cut to a college campus. Sid is sleeping and her phone rings. When she answers it, it's a prank call. Someone pretending to be Ghostface. But she has caller ID and she tells them that prank calls are illegal and blah. And she knows who they are. So they hang up on her. Her roommate then asks her if they need to change their number again. And Sydney says, no, it should calm down once like it's opening weekend of the movie. And that's why we then see on the news uh, on TV that Cotton Weary is talking about his exoneration. Her roommate tells Sid that she needs to get ready and reminds her that there is a sorority mixer that night. And Sid tries to back out of it. And she's like, no, you have to come. I'm wondering if Hallie's actually Sid's friend or if she's just like, I know that Sid will be more popular than me and if I'm Sid's friend, I'll be allowed in the sorority. Because <laughs> like, why else are you forcing your friend to come to a sorority party? It made it look like she knows if Sydney were to come, it would get her in because they really want they really <laughs> want Sydney in a sorority, not really her. But they're letting her like do go through the process just because she's Sydney's roommate and it's like an in. Exactly. Which could honestly be a motivation, but like she's trying to play it that like Sid is isolating herself and that she never goes out, whatever. And Sid says that she's fine. And then a girl in the hallway tells them that they need to go check the news. They run over and they see that two Windsor College students have been murdered at the stab screening. So Sid automatically asks, where's Randy? Uh, and Haley Haley, Haley, why am I forgetting her name? She's not that important. Haley? Haley? Which one is it? I feel like she's barely in the movie. (laughs) I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember how to pronounce her name now. Anyways. Haley. Haley says uh, that he's in his film theory class. So Sid heads out to go find him. uh, And she's mobbed by reporters as she exits her dormitory. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense because Randy was in love with her. It just so happens that they both go to the same school in Ohio. Maybe Randy followed her out to school in Ohio. Can we double check? Can you do this for me? And check the cast. Is the police chief the same one as Scream 1? Because that doesn't make any sense. But I think it was the same actor. I thought that as I was moving, is that the police chief from before? 
I, the thought came into my mind and then left right away. I didn't let it fester, I guess. Mm-hmm. They all just follow said they're all her groupies now. <laughs> yeah, everybody, like, hey, we all have to be together here in, here now. Are oh, you going to Ohio? We're all going to Ohio now. It's over. Chief Hartley, maybe this guy. Hold on. No, he was not in Scream 1. I guess it's just a generic old white guy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and thus looks the same. Um, so we then cut to film class and Buffy and Pacey <laughs> are arguing. <laughs> so it's Sarah Michelle Geller from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Joshua Jackson from Dawson's Creek. That's why I call them Buffy and Pacey. Yeah. They're arguing uh, if the movie caused the murders or not. Then Mickey, Timmy, Timothy Oliphant, and Randy start debating whether it is or not. The teacher asks if someone is trying to make a sequel in real life by creating these murders. And Randy says that sequels suck. And yes, I see Randy's right on both counts. <laughs> yeah. As per this movie, they, they do indeed suck. Mickey claims that many sequels have surpassed the original. And Randy's like, yeah, sure. Name one. And he's like, Aliens. It was better than the first. They say a line from Alien, but I forgot to write down what the line is but apparently Randy miscorrects him. Mickey says the line correctly, and then Randy's like, no, it's actually this, and it's incorrect. Yeah. It's like, get your hands off of you, bitch. It's that line. I don't, I don't remember what they all say. It was best the line that I think they, they're um, talking about. Yeah, Randy miscorrects the line. <laughs> oh, great job, Randy. And then Mickey claims Terminator 2 was better, which, fair. House 2, completely agree. <laughs> Have you ever seen House 2? I've seen House 2 a bunch. I don't remember House 1. Exactly, because it's not worth remembering, but House 2, classic. <laughs> I've only seen House 2 when I was like, I don't know, seven, eight years old on HBO a bunch. I've never seen it as an adult. So it's maybe 30 years or more since I've seen I House 2. I have only seen it as an adult because our mutual podcast that we used to listen to, The Horror Virgin, it was a Mikey movie one time and I decided to watch it. Back when, I think it was right when we first met because I decided to do like a, a live stream with everyone on on the Facebook group or whatever and watch mm-hmm. House 2 with them. It was quite a delightful movie. <laughs> many, many times as a child I saw it. I didn't understand it all, but I remember liking it and I've never seen it as uh, You wouldn't understand it now. <laughs> <laughs> there is no understanding that movie. <laughs> well, as a kid, it was just like every other kid's movie, but now it's like, ugh, it doesn't, they're not even trying to make sense. I remember it was a crystal skull and a worm. That's what I remember. Or a lot of cocaine. <laughs> All right, so Randy says that the horror genre is ruined by sequels. <laughs> I have my own personal note of like, Randy, let me tell you how fucking right you are <laughs> as a person who covers sequels. <laughs> let me tell you. We, we have a position on this. We speak from a position of knowledge on this one as people that cover sequels. No one likes to suffer as much as we do. <laughs> No, who really wants to sit through the fifth Paranormal Activity movie willingly? No one. No one wants to. No no, no one wants to. We do it for you. We do it for you. Yes, it's all for you. We love you. (laughs) All right. So Mickey says The Godfather Part 2 and everyone's like, yeah, you got one. Good job. Class is dismissed. Not for nothing. As movie students, they got to Godfather Part 2 way too late in the conversation. Yeah, it should have been an immediate response. But like if they were real movie people, they'd have been like, Godfather 2, stop talking. But then they'd have been like, come up with more because that's like the accepted answer to that. And I'd be like, Ghostbusters 2, which I know is terrible, but I love. I've never seen Ghostbusters 2. I've only seen the original. Oh, man. Haven't seen any of the remakes either. Oh, well, I recently saw Afterlife. I did not. I did not. It's all right. It's good for what it is. Come on, you got to see Finn Wolfhard is in it. That means you have to watch it, right? Finn Wolfhard. Am I supposed to know who that is? Um, he's in Stranger Things. He's in. He was in It. Oh, you wouldn't have seen It. Forget it. Um, 
Oh, 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 oh. What's his name from Stranger Things? Mike, got you. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen Stranger Things. I just know he's in it. What? Yeah. I've lost my words. I don't have them anymore. <laughs> Stranger Things is one of those shows. Some shows turn me off and that one turned me off. Why? Where like the people that like the show turn me off from the show. It's like the people that like Rick and Morty. They turn me off from ever wanting to watch the show. The same thing. Everyone who watches Stranger Things likes the show. But like they like it like on on an obsessive level to a point where I'm like, you know what? Like I don't want to watch it. (laughs) Wait, is this how you feel with me and Yellow Jackets? You're like, oh, fuck Jackie, you and your obsession. (laughs) (laughs) No, because this is Jackie saying this. It's not like 50 people screaming at me about how much how Stranger Things is like the next coming of TV or whatever they wanted to call it. I felt that way about like Bridget and Tiger King and those sort of things. Like I ended up avoiding being the contrarian that I am. I avoided them. It's one of those things. Like if it's one person or a couple people, whatever, but everyone, like no, that's it. Not watching it. It's so fun. And like just the nostalgia. I know I never lived in the 80s, but like I used to watch a lot of 80s movies growing up and whatever. So it's like the nostalgia for that time. And it's really well done. I got really close to watching it when I knew they did the never ending story thing. And I love that movie. So I was like, <laughs> That scene was something. Um, wasn't my favorite scene, but anyways. That's a great song, which only the 80s could have produced. But it was a bit of a cheesy scene compared to their other ones. Um. And the movie for kids that, like, there's death and craziness. All right. So Sid walks up to Randy, and Randy says he would change sequels uh, to the class because they're like, how would you change sequels, Randy? And he's like... I would change it by uh, making the geek get the girl. And then does he spray his breath or am I imagining that? No, he gets yeah. some Binaka out and that's a dated reference. Yeah, pretty much. But anyway, so Sid's telling Randy all about Maureen and the murder. And then she says that 300 different people watched her be murdered. They just thought it was a publicity son. In this scene, I don't know why, but Jamie Kennedy has an English accent. <laughs> like he's doing this really bad English accent and acting really weird. And apparently Jamie Kennedy in recent years, he did a podcast or something like that. And someone asked him about that. And he's like, I don't fucking know why I did that like there is no reason for it it has nothing to do the movie and no one even looks at him weird i'm thinking he was just born in one take and just did it and they used it it's so weird i don't know it's not even a good british accent anyways so randy tries to deny that the murders are related to them and he just wants to ignore it then jerry o'connor like jumps over like this half wall to go and greet them and i'm just like this is a bit extreme I don't know that I would ever jump over a wall to see someone. I'd be like, hey, meet me at the exit you're about to walk out of. I remember him being in the movie more than he actually is. As did I. As I watched the movie, I'm like, hey, you're really not in this. And you are only in this to be the guy they could point at that you might be the killer when you're not. Pretty much. Like, right up until the moment that he dies. <laughs> like, So uh, he runs up to Sid, he kisses her, and then I have no idea what I wrote there. Moving on. Cut to Gail. <laughs> Must not be important. Keep moving. <laughs> yeah. It's like one single word that's just a scribble. Um, Okay, so cut to Gail. Telling someone uh, that they'd be crazy to pull the movie. She's on the phone with somebody. And then she has a new camera guy. His name is Joel. He is black because, you know, they were trying to bring more people of color into the sequel because they realized they had none in the first movie. My my note is like, this movie is really trying to be diverse, but fails. (laughs) Because it's just a cameraman and then the couple of dads in the beginning, Omar Epps and... and uh, no, Hallie is also... It is Hallie. It's not Haley. Okay. I finally remembered when, like, I wasn't thinking about it. It's like, 
came to me. So Aunt Jackie from Roseanne uh, is tracking Gail in the background. She's just like watching her and following slightly. And then she goes to try to talk to her. She says that she loved her book. Her name's Debbie Salt. Uh, she took one of Gail's seminars as well. And she asked Gail for a quote. And Gail's like, okay, I have a quote for you. Your flattering remarks are both desperate and obvious. End quote. Boom. Boom. And I'm just like, what are these highlights in Courtney Cox's hair? Why does her hair just like go from like bad to worse to terrible within these sequels? Like it's just. So someone was he had like the Jennifer Aniston look, like that kind of hair. Is that was this one? No, no, no. That was the first movie. Like she had like the blondish highlights in it. Ah, yes. Trying to be kind of Jennifer Aniston looking. Then this one is the red chunky highlights. Ah, yes. Which I will admit I had at the time. <laughs> like, they were stylish, quote unquote. <laughs> but just, no, it looks terrible. So other reporters are trying to interview Gail. Then Gail starts questioning the sheriff. Pretty much her questions make the sheriff look incompetent. Yeah. Well, he's a small town sheriff where they probably don't kill. There's not that many murders or anything he hasn't had to deal with. Uh, with so much attention being <laughs> drawn to his place, to his <laughs> small little college town. Yeah, exactly. Randy points out Gail being like, oh, look, she's here. And he's teasing about it and says, just like, be kind. She did save our lives. True. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the new crew of five, I call them because, you know, we always need a crew of five. <laughs> apparently this new crew, instead of it being Billy and Stu and T- Tatum and Randy, it's Mickey. I wrote down Jerry at this time, but his name is Derek in the movie. Hallie, Randy and Sid. They're all standing there looking over the press conference. Lindsay Bluth from Arrested Development and the Noxima girl <laughs> approach. This is what happens when like they cast all these kind of bit part somebodies. And I'm just like, I don't know what your actual name is, but this is who you are in my mind. <laughs> I was like, hey, it's the killer from Urban Legend. Got it. All right. (laughs) But that came out after this. Yeah, it did. (laughs) But she wasn't, she was the Noxima girl at the time. She was the Noxima girl. And I love Arrested Development. I don't know if you have ever gotten into it, but Portia de Rossi is Lindsay Bluth. And she will always be Lindsay Bluth to me and no one else. So uh, Hallie's all excited and they talk all this sorority bullshit and they rapidly ramble on about Sid and like how she's so hot right now because of the movie and the murders and it's like read the room it's like the girl from the bathroom in part one all over again exactly okay so no one likes sorority girls except for Hallie is my note and then there's the Dewey theme music that starts playing because Sid spots him in the distance and like yes theme music yeah it's like the doo, 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 doo. <laughs> like it's like all like this like kind of romantic theme that he has which is like weird because they usually only play it in scenes where it's Dewey and Gail like kind of flirting and like something's happening but in this scene it's like Sid going after him like is Sid in love with Dewey now I don't know. <laughs> That seems weird. Well, there's not much flirting going on between um, Dewey and Gale in this movie. I mean, there, there, there is later on. Well, not Dewey, but like the actors were married by now. They met on the first one and they got married. I think they got divorced by the fourth one. No, they were still together technically in the fourth, I think. Like they were just splitting up. Okay. At the fourth. But anyways. So Sid tells him she's starring in the play at school because like her life's so different now. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, you went through a major 
fucking trauma a year ago and you're like, yes, I want to be in the theater. I want to perform in front of everyone. I want to be the star of a show. Like I would still be too busy watching my back constantly and like needing to stand against a wall at all times. Like in the first movie, she didn't strike me as the actor type. Like Tatum, I could see it. That too, right? Like didn't seem to have an interest in drama at all. No. But then again, we don't know what they were interested in because they were barely in school in the first movie. And they and then they cancel school halfway through. Halfway through this movie, like school's canceled. I don't know. Maybe she was always into acting, but feels weird and random. Yeah, feel, feel shoved in so they could have the ending be where it is. Exactly. Like, it would have been made more sense almost if, like, Hallie was in the play or whatever, and, like, Sid went yeah. to go and watch her. Like, that would have made more sense to me. But no, Sid is the star of the play, and that's, like, the other thing. So they, they have this huge production going on for the drama department, and the first year student is the star of the play like usually the i don't i went to theater school <laughs> and right, so you're gonna know this better than me yeah yeah i have a lot of comments about the theater shit in this movie but anyways so it was always like there would be smaller shows for the first years and that sort of thing but they weren't there was barely a budget if there was a budget it was like use the things that are already in the school and figure it out whereas the second year which was graduating class they would get full-on productions but the first years would never be in such productions so i don't know if it works differently at university but didn't make sense to me but dewey says that he's worried um if someone's trying to start what billy and Stu did again he says that sid probably already knows the person because they're probably already in her life that's the, the mo that they would take and Sid asks what it's supposed to do, cut everyone out of her life, like, and hide. There's what, what do you do in that case? And although she does know one of the killers, does she really? She knows both, technically. Well, yeah, but like, she would have recognized the second one if she would have seen her, which I find that hard because she never saw her as much as she's hanging around them. But that's, right? that's a different story. Like in this scene right here, how does she not see her? Yeah, especially the way she's always hanging all over Gail and they're looking at Gail. She would have recognized, if she recognized her as quick as she did when she does see her, supposedly for the first time later on in the movie, she would have seen like, hey, what is Billy's mom doing here what this is with people dying all of a sudden red flag everywhere but she barely she has like i think one scene with mickey alone she gets like yeah a very tiny scene that i'll write down later yeah this movie does does i don't know if it's a good or a bad job. this movie does a different job as the first movie the first movie keeps the killers front and center you're seeing them the whole movie and you just don't know what's them here they're like off to the side and hidden for there's really no way for you to guess it's them because they're not in the movie enough for them to matter I feel like you can kind of guess that there's something off about Mickey based on some things that he says, and I'll point them out as they happen. Well, he, he, he does have crazy eyes, and he looks like a lunatic, but that's, you know. Crazy eyes and just like, uh, I, f I forget exactly what it is that he says, but I remember writing down a note being like, oh, that's a little bit for like foretelling. You can kind of be suspicious of him from that line. The movie puts all his chips into the Jerry O'Connell uh, basket early, just like to swerve you at the end. Yeah, definitely. Like, they're definitely like, it's the boyfriend again. Feel like it's the boyfriend. You should be guessing the boyfriend. Um, Even though Randy but, the whole time like, it's not going to be the boyfriend because it was a voice in the first one. It can't be the boyfriend the second one. But yeah, and then I feel like Debbie, you have to either guess that she's the killer or that she's going to be somehow truly put in her place by Gail. Those are the only options, right? Like, it's just like, either Gail becomes supreme in the end and like fully puts her in her place and destroys this woman, or she like takes over Gail's job like something like that she's too there's too much time spent on her 
for her to be just nothing. Yeah, Debbie's problem is not that the problem. The problem is like the economy of casting her. Like you're like, oh, that's um, that's on Jackie. You're not in this movie for no reason. Like you're just not. Like you're not, they didn't cast you in this little BS role. That's that's the problem with her. Like and Timothy Oliphant wasn't anybody yet, so that you know it's okay. He became like America's sheriff later, so it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, but like at this point, Roseanne was at its peak and like this, this was a famous actress. Yeah, when I first saw it, I remember her. I'm like, oh, it's Anne Jackie from Roseanne. Yeah. I know who this is. And I knew Jerry O'Connell from other stuff. I'm like, oh, I know him. He was in My Secret Identity or some, I think it's what he's called <laughs> that show. He was like a superhero or something. Yeah, I mean, I was watching it years down the line from when it came out. But yeah, I, I recognized Jerry O'Connell. I don't think I knew who he truly was until I was older. <laughs> oh, and he had, he had been in Sliders. I had seen Sliders. Too. I have never seen sliders. Uh, I haven't seen it since it was on, so I don't. I doubt it holds up. But, <laughs> so I remember, I'm liking the first season. Then something made me mad, and then I stopped watching it. Like the character left the show that I liked. So I'm not watching this anymore. Because like Gimli from um from Lord, Lord of the Rings was one of, was the perfecter, yeah. And then he oh leaves. I think in the first season, in the end of the first season, or the end of the second season, he leaves. And I was like, ah. I'm leaving. The, uh, he was my favorite character in the show for some reason. I stopped watching after he left. Because he's motherfucking Gimli, and that's why. Well, he wasn't Gimli yet, but... He's always been Gimli. Anyways, okay, so uh, Dewey offers that he's going to stick around and says that he'll check in with the local police. Gale then approaches with a camera and corners Sydney with Cotton in person. Which is not cool. So she bitch slaps. Does she bitch slap Cotton or her? I just wrote bitch slap. <laughs> I think it's, it's her. It's probably her. It would make more sense for her to bitch slap Gail. Because kind of like, I thought you got a clearance for this. What the hell? You told me she was okay with it. Yeah. He's like, what the fuck? I thought this was a legit interview. Uh, he's like, she didn't know. And Joel in the background is just like, ooh, that's cold. <laughs> Thanks, Joel. Yeah. So now Cotton's really upset with Gail. Gail then runs into Dewey, who defends Sydney. And then he starts quoting Gail's book at her, all the lines where she would make fun of him with the page numbers. That's a little excessive, but okay. Yeah, like that, that's real extreme, Dewey, but okay. Like you re- your feelings really got hurt on this one because like page 76, Dewey's an idiot. Page 85, yeah. he's been with it. I was like, all right, yeah. Dewey. Page 94, he's a slim build. How dare you? Like, How dare you? <laughs> I'm felt if I'm anything. Come on, you need yeah. to. Uh, but yes, okay. So Gail apologizes. Dewey then calls out her bad hair, and I'm like, "Yes, Dewey, you do that." And like, I just like if they are married at this point, then I find that really even better. Like, then cut to the sorority party. Hallie is super into it, and Sydney is not. Somebody like walks up to her, and she—I think it's one of the sorority girls—and they're like, "Hi." No, I really mean that. Hi. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Like, yeah. How are you? I really mean that. Like, that's understandable. Like, Like, I honestly mean this. Yeah. Hi. No, I really mean it. Hello. Like, okay. (laughs) I don't genuinely mean it when I say hi to people. I don't actually mean to greet anyone at all. I just, it comes out of my mouth. (laughs) I'm in my own little world, and I'm the only one that matters in it, so. (laughs) And then cut to Buffy. She's on the phone with a friend, and guess who that friend is? Um, I don't know any of the other Buffy characters, so I can't They shared an epic kiss in another 90s movie. It's Cruel Intentions, right? That's um, that's Jennifer LaVue it then, right? Nope. (laughs) 
No. Oh, dang it. <laughs> She's not in that movie. She's not in that? I've never seen the movie. I just know about the kiss. It's Selma Blair. <laughs> it's Selma Blair. Oh, I was never going to get there. So Selma Blair is on the line with her. And then she switches line and it's Ghostface on the other line. But she thinks that it's a guy named Ted. She explains that she's home alone. She's the sober sister for the night. She'll give a ride to anyone that's too intoxicated. That's a nice thing to have. Yeah. And then Buffy asks who he's calling for. And he says you. And she says that she's going to hang up because she can tell he's kind of creepy. So she hangs up and then Selma calls her back. And Buffy starts hearing some strange noises upstairs in the sorority house. So she decides to go out onto the porch, but like the phone starts breaking up. It doesn't get a signal out there. And so she tries to call campus security, but she doesn't get the signal. So she walks closer and closer to the house and she's standing right by the front door. And then this girl pops out from the front door for a jump scare. Yeah, she was just like one of the sisters that was in the house still. And then she leaves. And then Ted calls Ted, quote unquote, calls back and we see that Ghostface is running in the background while this other nameless sister is talking to Ted, quote unquote, on the phone. And then she hands the phone over to Buffy. She leaves. Buffy closes and locks the door. So now Ghostface is locked in the house with her. Then Ted says that he's not Ted on the phone. And he says, don't forget to set the alarm. And then she's like walking around the house, like trying to figure out where he is. And in the background on the TV, did you notice what was playing? No, I didn't see. It's Nosferatu. That's always on TV. Yeah, but like, because she's the vampire slayer, I loved it. She was already. She was a vampire slayer already. Yeah, it was '96 that uh, Buffy started. So she had just became a vampire slayer. Yeah, she was in season two when this was filming. And I know what you did last summer was like around this time, right? Because that came out pretty quick after Scream One. Yeah, I know what you did last summer. It's '97 as well. So she, I think it was either she was filming. I know what you did last summer at the same time, or Buffy at the same time. I can't remember which one she was filming, but she was just like going back and forth, like wouldn't sleep between the two sets. Well, good thing she was not in this movie long. Yeah. Didn't have much to do in this one. On this one. She did have to do her own stunts. And she like had bragged about like how she does some of her own stunts on Buffy. And then Wes is like, okay, you're going to fall 30 feet. And she's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and you and like in part one, there was a boat there. You don't get the boat. I'm sorry. You don't. <laughs> Whatever. So they don't show her land. Clearly she had something to land on. But anyways, so the phone rings again. And then Ghostface jumps out of the closet again. Because, you know, he loves those closets. That's what he does. We should mm-hmm. start a closet count for Ghostface, I guess. Just- <laughs> It was because we're rewatching Buffy, Raj and I, and I was explaining to him that the Buffering the Vampires podcast, they have two counters that are going. One is every single time Giles gets knocked out because he gets knocked out like at least five to ten times a season. And then every single time Tara encounters a door she can't open because like any time that she's in a scene where she's in danger, she tries to open the door and it's locked. I'm like, that happens so often. There's a counter. Wow. There's okay. a counter. I, I just love it because, like, I've watched the series so many times, and, like, you just don't really think about it as a whole. You think of, like, the episodes on an episode basis, and then you pay attention to the overarching plot, but you don't think of, like, huh, Jazz gets knocked out a lot. Like, or, like, Tara's always encountering locked doors. And then they point to this out, and now that's all I can see, and I laugh every single time it, gets, it happens. It's just like, ugh. But yeah, so Ghostface jumps out of a closet again, and then there's the whole stairs scene, which is beautifully redone in Scary Movie. <laughs> yeah, with the piano. And just And Grandma. like It's just like, she's like, first a bike, because that actually happens in this movie. Throws a bike down the stairs, because some for some reason on the second landing, there's a bike, and then she runs up the next flight of stairs, and she like throws a piano, and then she runs up the next flight of stairs, she's like, sorry, Grandma! Throws the Grandma. 
those things. That scene happens. And then uh, he stabs her twice in the back uh, once she's out on the balcony. And then he throws her off the balcony. This the 30-foot drop. She lands. She dies. Cool. And bye, Buffy. Later days. You, des- you deserve better. Just took one loser to kill the button. This layer, apparently. Exactly. Look at that. I wonder how Spike feels. <laughs> Sure, it feels okay, I guess. Just well, like I mean, first few seasons of like Buffy is just like Spike wanting to kill Buffy, but unable to do so. Ah, okay. But don't they like, get like... involved later on, and then right. yes, they do, and it gets weird. Yeah, well, but anyway, I can imagine. <laughs> um, back to Noxima girl and Lindsay they're waxing on about how inclusive their sorority is and then they're like plus Derek is like from our brother frat so you're meant to be we like to keep it in the family yeah that's that phrase is never acceptable <laughs> so Sid tells them that they've given her a lot to think about with all their sorority talk and then she walks away and goes off to see Derek Hallie uh, is really not into Mickey Mickey's trying to like hit on her or say something I don't know what Mickey's doing but she's like please get the fuck away from me and Sid continues to just really not be into the sorority party. Noxima and Lindsay say that the police are all over the other sorority house down the street. So Sid looks worried and they like run over to the front lawn and they see that the cops have swarmed the house across the street. And then we cut to Debbie. She's confirming with one of the officers death by blunt trauma and there's a double stabbing. So it's definitely not a suicide. Gail then walks up and Debbie acts all like two faced towards her. And she's like, oh, like, this is real big story. Sorry that you didn't get here first kind of thing. Then Joel is telling Gail that he doesn't think that he's really cut out for this job. He didn't realize there's going to be active murders happening while he was helping her. He doesn't really want to do this. Dewey then, what did I write? I wrote, okay, now that I have been able to decipher it. Dewey looks like he ate at Taco Bell and might be having some questionable gas. He like is sweating, just like has the weirdest look on his face in the seat. It looks like he ate something bad. Yeah, David Arquette really overacts the nerve damage they gave him, which I don't know why they gave him nerve damage for part two, but whatever it is what it is. And by the trailers for for the new one, I don't think he has it anymore. He seems to be walking around just fine. Even by Scream 3, he doesn't have it anymore. Okay, I haven't seen Scream 3 in a while. I don't know. I, I'm saying that without seeing Scream 3 for a while either. So but like, I feel like that's not a thing in the later movies from what I remember. So yeah, he, he looks like he's real sick right now. And I'm like, what what's happening, Dewey? Derek then tells Sid to go get her jacket, but he doesn't go in with her when like they can see that there's like police all across the street. Something sketchy has happened. Like I would be like, okay, my girlfriend who was a target of murders last year, I'm just, you know, going to go with her to go get her jacket and then I'm going to walk her home and like make sure that she's safe in her room <laughs> it makes no sense because he especially all right let's get out of here let's get you home and safe or whatever that like he literally says that or something to that mm-hmm. effect that walks up to the porch and doesn't move from the porch and lets her go in to this and by the way these people don't know how to what is it with parties in this in this universe where like i never seen a house so and even if almost everybody would have left the house okay. to see the murder going on across. Somebody would have stayed back drinking. Somebody would have stayed back doing something. You know, it's just it, it wouldn't have been a ghost town in that little house. And well, big house. Yeah, I agree. Like 
someone would be too drunk to like even know what's happening outside and just be like, yeah, I'm going here, still having a party. But apparently everyone is sober enough to run across the street. So Sid goes into the house by herself and she gets her jacket and then the phone is ringing and she tries to ignore it, but then goes back for it. And I'm like, this is not your house. Nobody's calling you in this house. They wouldn't be. Well, they are, but nobody would be calling you here. Let the machine get it. It's not your house. A phone must be answered. If a phone is ringing, it must be picked up. I can't function. She goes back for the phone for some I, a knowable reason, really. Because why? But it's Ghostface. Of course it is. So she asks what he wants. And like, also, okay, for the record, how did they know that this was Ghostface's voice? You know what I mean? Like, how did they know like exactly what Ghostface sounded like? if they never encountered Billy and Stu when they were being Ghostface? My only guess is, you're considering this Volkswagen was a high profile, that's what I was looking for, a high profile case. They probably were like TV specials on it. And they, oh, this was the voice changer that the killers use, blah, 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 blah. Mm, kind of thing. Maybe. Maybe. The voice changer that really didn't work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think voice changers, well, they probably are that good now, but man, voice changers, I don't think were that good in 1997. Ghostface is on the other line. He says, I want you. It's showtime. And she says, then why don't you show your face? You fucking coward. And he says, with pleasure. And then... Ghostface has closed and locked the door, and then he chases Sid through the house. He's falling over absolutely everything, and I'm just like, why is Ghostface always so motherfucking clumsy? It's like the second you put the costume on, you can't see the stand-up straight. I have a question which I I thought of after we finished recording the Scream 1 episode. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to say, because it applies in Scream 2 also. The great master plan is to kill Sydney to make this big cumulative thing and then make Sydney like this, the head of it. What uh-huh. if they would have succeeded in one of these early murder attempts? Because it's not like they're holding back when they're trying to kill her. Like the first one was like, oh, we're going to make it on the anniversary and blame your father for it and da 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 And then let's just say when she took a nap in her house and they came in early in the movie and they actually succeeded and killed her. Then what? Or the bathroom attack. like <laughs> or, the, yeah, or, yeah, or the bathroom attack or something. Just like what? Then what? Yeah, it's... I don't, I really and truly don't know, but like, I guess like my only reason for this is to, um, they're establishing alibis for the actual killers by having these attacks because it's the double killer scenario. It's like, well, I wasn't there during this attack, so it couldn't have been me. So like maybe he's falling on purpose to not kill her until I want to kill her. Perhaps. Just making it look convincing kind of thing. Yeah. But, like, then, like, if he's such a fucking clumsy idiot and, like, fumbling everything, then why doesn't Sid just fucking kill him? <laughs> like, get this over with, lady. And there's that. <laughs> Come on, self-defense at this point. Come on. Yeah. So Derek is outside of the house and he then runs into the house and Dewey goes after him. Derek has been attacked when Dewey finds him and he says the ghost face is gone. And the only wound that he has is this very superficial wound on his arm. I'm not sure how he would have gotten it. Maybe if he got slashed at, I guess. Like the only thing I can think of is the guy goes to stab him and he puts up his arm and like it just gets slashed and then he decides to run away. The ghost face. But it's, it's them putting the chips into the, the boyfriend bucket. This is all right. Come on, look, it's really the boyfriend with his BS little cutty ass. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because at the next scene, they're at the hospital and the police are 
kind of question them while they're at the hospital waiting for Derek to get checked out, I guess. And Mickey tries to cast out on Derek. And he's like, why would anyone go back into the house is what he asks. Yeah, I guess because Sid ran out. I think I forgot to write that down. Sid ran out of the house. She was already out of the house and he runs into the house after Ghostface. Yeah, Sid ran out and then he inexplicably runs back in. Yeah. So yeah, he's like, why would he run back into the house? And so Sid's like kind of a little bit like, hmm, that's a point. Yeah, why would he run into the house? Yeah. Dewey and the other officers think it's very convenient that Ghostface just nicked Derek's arm. Derek then tries to cast doubt onto Dewey. And then at the police station, the sheriff is writing out all the victims' names later on. This is a different scene. Sorry. I forgot how Derek tries to cast doubt onto Dewey. I decided not to write the full note. I just wrote that. <laughs> it's been a week since I watched it. So I think yeah. he says something on the lines like, oh, why he just happens to come here across town? I mean, across country? Yeah to see you and then people just happen to start dying when he's here huh yeah. isn't that's a little strange blah blah so i think it'll sound like that something along those lines i agree but yeah at the police station later uh the sheriff is writing out all the victims names so far and dewey and gail are there with him so he writes out first victim is maureen evans second victim phil stevens and the last victim is cc cooper and gail asks him is Cece her real name and he says no her real name is Casey so then Gail is just like you mean just like Casey whatever her name is from the first movie and then she starts relating all the victims names being like Maureen Evans what about Maureen Prescott Phil Stevens what about Stephen whatever the fuck his name was the boyfriend who was murdered at Drew Barrymore's house in the first movie and then Casey whatever Becker I think it is Casey Becker yeah I think it was Becker yeah yeah she's Drew Barrymore's character who was murdered so it's in the same order as the murders happened in the first movie with the same names. And then I just have a question. Actually, no. Steve died first and then Maureen. No, no, no. No, no, no. Because Maureen was killed a year ago. Then Steve gets... That's part oh, one. Right, 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 right. Movie. In this movie, Steve does die first. Die first. Yeah, but, Steve does die first. Okay. But the the list, sorry. The, the list order they've got in is... Is the same order. Um, but I'm just like, what is the fucking coincidence that they happen to find a couple on campus that were named Maureen and Steve? Yeah, like, really? <laughs> like, CC, whatever. Like, you just found a Casey on campus. Fine. You could do that. But, like, you happen to find this couple. <sighs> it's, um, yeah. Like, there's so many things that are just too, too over the top. It doesn't make sense. Too sloppy, too clunky. Uh, it's not smooth. And then, but then the connection stopped there because then they kill um, the roommate later, right? That's later that's on. Like that's the, like in the final act. Yeah, and it's not the roommate was named Tatum. And then um, I can't think of anybody else that dies. And they kill the boyfriend. Randy. But Randy. Oh, yeah, Randy. But Randy didn't die in the first one. But yeah, okay. So they make this connection. Then we cut to Sid and Derek. They're walking around the campus. And Sydney has a police detail that's following her. They're in like suits. They're like secret agent kind of guys, but not actually. <laughs> And she tells Derek that he should stay away from her so that he doesn't get hurt. And then Derek is a sketch bag and he's just like, no, like, why? Why would I stay away from you? I can't kind of thing. As I watched the movie, Derek irked me more and more and more. Maybe because I knew he wasn't a killer because I had seen him before. Like, and I knew and I saw what the movie was doing. I'm like, they have him act so against the way a normal person would act. Because mm-hmm. like 
she's not saying, hey, I hate you. Leave me. I'm breaking up. She's like, listen, uh, let's take, you know, let's be separated for a little while because somebody's trying to actively murder me. And I wouldn't want you to be hurt while somebody's trying to murder me. Seems like a logical request to me. I guess he's a macho frat guy is what we're supposed to believe. And like, he doesn't think with logic. He thinks with testosterone. If he had been that the whole movie, maybe. But he hasn't even been that way. He's like, oh, I'm in the frat, but I really don't want, I don't even like frat life. Ugh. I don't believe in it, but you know, I'm just in it because. I I don't know that he ever says that. And then like he gives, he gives her his Greek letters and like all the shit. He may sound like he didn't really care about it, but he was just in it. That's the vibe I got at least. But yeah, he's like, I don't want to see you get hurt to Sid. And then there's this like ominous music and he makes this really weird look and then we cut scene. Just how, like, Dewey has his own, like, romantic theme. Derek just has, like, the ominous music all the time because they're trying to make you think it's him. I think working overtime to make you think it's, it's, it's Derek in this movie. Yeah. So we got to Gail and Dewey. Uh, they're leaving the police station and they're still at odds with one another. Debbie then and the other reporters chase Gail. They're asking if she has any leads. And then Debbie alludes to Sid's dad maybe being the suspect because they can't locate him again. What What is happening? <laughs> Sid's dad. He's just like constantly MIA. <laughs> he's like in Chile. Like they say, oh, he's in South America or something like that. Throw away a line. Then they ask Dewey's a potential suspect, and Gail's like, no, Dewey's a good guy. <laughs> Not my Dewey. He would never. <laughs> and then she walks away. Debbie says, if the killer is copying Woodsboro, it makes sense that it would be Dewey or one of the people that was from Woodsboro. I guess they're right because somebody they is are. from Woodsboro. Mm hmm. We cut to the campus calf, and Mickey asks Derek if he thinks that Sid will let him interview her as his documentary subject. He's like, fuck right off. Hallie then shuts him down, and she says she turned down 2020 but uh, and Dateline, but for you, yeah, of course, no problem, Mickey. And he's like, yeah, all right, I'm in. And then now, at this point, Mickey is now trying to cast doubt on Randy. So, like, this is where I was just like, okay... Mickey's constantly trying to cast doubt on another person. Like, that's when he starts to get suspicious to me as a viewer, not to the people that are there because he's saying it to different people each time. So, like, I understand that maybe they wouldn't know all the details, but us as viewers, like, he keeps on trying to cast doubt on somebody else. So that to me made him a little bit suspicious, even though, like, while I'm watching this this time, I know he's the killer. But anyways... Sid then joins them and they talk about her police detail. Then Derek starts talking. Then he breaks into I Think I Love You. And I'm just like, why? Why is this happening? Apparently, it's a Top Gun reference. I don't know. I've never seen Top Gun. I hate Tom Cruise. <laughs> you didn't watch Mission Impossible? Come on. Those movies are good. I have seen Mission Impossible, but I, I have not seen Top Gun. I'm not like going out to watch every single Tom Cruise movie. If somebody plays one for me, sure, I'll watch it. My dad likes all those spy movies. So uh, I've seen Mission Impossible, but yeah, never, never bothered with Top Gun. I've been on the Top Gun ride at Canada's Wonderland in Canada. <laughs> nice. It's basically the same thing. Right? Like, that's all I really needed to experience was a roller coaster that had nothing to do with Top Gun whatsoever. They just <laughs> called it that. Um, like, like, it was, it's not like at Universal where it's like, oh, you get to see like this thing and like that thing that's from the movie along the ride. No, no, it's just a roller coaster. <laughs> Is, are the are the cars shaped with little airplanes? No, it's one of those roller coasters where your feet hang out. You know, your feet don't hang in a jet plane. Yeah, exactly. Nothing to do with Top Gun. Also, it's just like such a like shaky roller coaster. So your 
heads banging back and forth the entire time. And I remember the first time I went on it, I had just gotten my ear pierced. And like, mm. so my ears just banging into this thing constantly. And like, I got off the ride and there was just blood all down my neck. And like, the person that helped me out of the thing was like, oh my God, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, uh, yeah, so he starts singing I Think I Love You and like climbing on top of the tables and it's just like so much cringe. I hate it. I I actually, to the point that I tried to draw the cringe emoji in my notes because I was just like, I can't be watching this screen, so I'm going to attempt to draw this thing (laughs) because I cannot stand this moment. (laughs) He decides to give Sid his Greek letters, which we find out like, you're not supposed to do that, except like from what I know of Greek life, that is something you're supposed to do. You are supposed to give your letters to the person you like intend to marry or whatever bullshit. Or maybe you're not supposed to give it to her because she's not in the Greek system. I don't know. Oh, maybe. But anyways, we then cut to the press interview for Stab and Tori Spelling is being interviewed. She's talking about how she plays Sydney Prescott and how she prepared for the role. Dewey and Randy are drinking some Baskin Robin milkshakes and Randy complains of his casting in the movie. He got like some nobody that's never been in anything. And he's like, at least you, Dewey, you got to be played by David Schwimmer. <laughs> and I'm like, David Schwimmer? I can see it. I just like, I love all the references in this movie to like Courtney Cox's co-stars like it's just like anytime we have to reference an actual celebrity it's going to be one of her (laughs) co-stars so he's played by David Schwimmer we then see the school hallway scene of the stab movie so like the version of the scene where Sydney's running down the hallway after the like two jerks are wearing ghost ghost face masks and like running through the halls she starts running down the hallway towards the bathroom she runs into Billy and it's right after he's been in jail and whatever and they have the whole conversation of like see it couldn't have been me Sid you got a call from the killer while I was in jail and as we already mentioned Billy is played by Luke Wilson he keeps the creepy vibe going until like right at the end once it's like I'm sorry that I don't fit into your perfect life or whatever the fuck the line is and, like, yeah, whatever. whatever that line was yeah <laughs> yeah and uh that he like hits his forehead and it's like don't like just turns into Homer Simpson gotta do something <laughs> Randy then proclaims that he'll wait for the video of the stab movie he's not gonna bother going to the theaters and that he tells dewey that his he has a theory that someone is trying to make a sequel and i'm like oh you have a theory that wasn't just your professor's theory earlier today oh okay cool. good <laughs> job right. and then he says he would cash in on all the movie murder hoopla so it's our job to observe the rules of a sequel and now we get randy's rules sequence as we do in the first three movies always gotta love it rule number one the body count is always bigger rule number two the death scenes are always much more elaborate more blood more gore carnage candy rule three if you want your sequel to become a franchise never ever and then he gets cut off because dewey interrupts him he goes how do we find the killer randy that's what i want to know and randy says then look at the suspects there's derek the obvious boyfriend hello Billy Loomis, and then points out how convenient it is that he only was cut art like superficially on his arm. But then he dismisses him as a suspect, like pretty much right away. But it can't be the boyfriend because it has been done or something. I can't remember the It's tired, he says. It's tired. Then he's like, Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student. 
But once again, backtracks and says, but if he's a suspect, then so am I. So let's just move on. Because no, he goes, if you're a suspect, then I'm a suspect. Like between him and Dewey. And then uh, this, then, then, then they decide to move on. Like, All right, let's not talk yeah, about Yeah, Dewey says, well, maybe you are a suspect. And Randy's like, if I'm a suspect, then you're a suspect. And so they're like, yeah. <laughs> Moot point, let's move on. Next, Randy accuses Hallie. Um, Dewey is doubtful as serial killers are typically white males. Randy uh, compares Hallie to Mrs. Voorhees and Candyman's daughter. Love the reference to Mrs. Voorhees because, you know, we're going to get a Mrs. Loomis in this movie. And Candyman's daughter kind of threw me because even though I haven't seen the other two, but I don't think there's a daughter. I have not seen it. I've seen part of the first Candyman and that's all I've seen. And I told you I had to turn it off because I got bored. But I've watched the whole thing, but I, I was pretty bored. I was entertained by it. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Tony Todd is amazing, but it, it just didn't do it for me. I, I didn't even get up to Tony Todd. Like, did not, like, barely got into it. I got into the point where, like, the girl realizes that, like, she can crawl through the fucking mirror or something like that. And then I was like, I'm done. This is boring. <laughs> I remember watching when it finally premiered on cable. Like, so this is a long time ago. Oh, man. I'm like, I'm like 13 or 14 year old Jeff or whatever it is. And I was just like, all right, this movie's long and kind of boring. And it's like Bloody Mary in a way. Good old Bloody Mary. So next suspect is Gail. She's an opportunist, possibly planning out her next book. Dewey says that he won't entertain the idea that Randy says it's just because Dewey is sweet on her. He, he then refers to himself as the unrequited love slave of Sidney Prescott. Which is okay. Yeah, I'm like, love slave? That implies something else, but okay. That implies a whole lot of something else. If wishing would make it so, but you know. And he asks uh, Dewey about his limp, being like, you're stabbed in the back. Why are you limping? And Dewey says that he has nerve damage. And then Dewey says that Gail is definitely no killer. And Randy says, if she's not, then she's a target. We cut to Gail and cameraman Joel, who is just now reading her book <laughs> for the first time and <laughs> freaking out because <laughs> he realizes what he's doing. He's just like reading his own life. And he's like, oh, fuck, <laughs> not again. No, I can't do this. And so he ends up quitting, quote unquote. And then we cut to Sid. She's in theater class and she's talking to her professor slash the director of the play. She wants to drop out of the play due to everything that is happening. And he won't let her. Which makes no sense. That's really messed up. She is a target of a murderer. She does not need to be doing a play right now. He's like, oh, you call yourself an actress? Yeah, exactly. Like, you need to channel what's happening to you and your pain into your role as Cassandra. And I'm like, no, no, she doesn't. She needs to get the fuck out of there exactly so then they start a full dress rehearsal and this is absolutely insane to me so if you're doing a full dress rehearsal like that's a big thing you're gonna be there all night it very much pre-planned everyone's super stressed out yeah this just doesn't suit it it doesn't make sense that they're just like all in their costume have every single effect going on because like also in theater what you do before you um have a dress rehearsal is you have like a tech run so you have to have the tech run to see that all the techs like the lights are working the different effects are working and you do that with like stand-in actors not the actual actors and then you finally bring your actors and you get them all into costume and makeup and that sort of thing and you have one final dress rehearsal before the show is supposed to premiere but this is like seems like it's just like her class like that she's going into and they're just practicing and I'm like you would not be in full makeup and costume with like every single like they're using all the dry ice they're doing like all the shit I'm like <laughs> this does not make sense they're gonna need this stuff later come on just wasting everything um but anyway 
ways. Then Ghostface is suddenly on stage because like she's having this whole monologue and there's all of these masked figures and robes around her and they're chanting things at her and whatever. And then uh, she sees that one of them, instead of wearing the like weird stone-based kind of masks that they're supposed to be wearing, is wearing the Ghostface mask. And so then she starts like running through all the people and trying to escape Ghostface. And the director's just like kind of like watching her, like curious, like, hmm, what is she doing? Why is she not on her mark? This is weird. Yeah. And then basically, like, she loses it and screams and they cut. And then, like, everybody starts taking off their masks and nobody has a Ghostface mask. Of course not. Yeah. So my question here is, is Sid crazy or did an extra, like, did, like, they somehow have an extra robe because Mickey's not in this play, Debbie's not in this play. So they made themselves a robe that is brown instead of black. And then they put on the ghost. Just just to scare her because they can't kill her yet because that would have been crazy if they would have succeeded on the murder here because it's witnesses. It's like in front of 20, in front of what, eight of them, nine of them? Yeah, there's like 10 people on stage. Then there's all the technicians backstage. And then there's like four people in the theater like watching. So I'm just like, "Ah." none of this makes sense. And in case you like the the theater, you're going to see it again later. Just, you know, heads up. Oh, yes. We shall see it again. And I will list all my problems with it then. Okay. Perfect. Derek shows up. Sid asks uh, what happened to Mickey. Mickey was the one who was supposed to pick her up from class, I guess. And Derek says that he had to edit, so they swapped. So clearly it was Mickey in the ghost face mask running around the stage, apparently. Whatever. Well, I doubt uh, Mrs. Loomis was running around the mask too, too often. <laughs> she was like, no, I will only go to these things to like prove your alibi, and that's it. And Pretty much, and that's all I'm going to do. I'm yeah. going to get one kill in order for me to be the killer, and that's <laughs> it. Exactly. So Sid's not happy to see Derek and she wants space from him. Basically, she's she's having a PTSD moment. She's like, this is too familiar. I just saw Ghostface and suddenly you're here just like it happened with Billy. I'm I can't I can't do this. And so he leaves. He gets all puffy about it. Mm -hmm. How can you believe that it's me? Yeah, but he does leave her alone. Or maybe she Mm -hmm. leaves. I wrote he leaves, so I think he left. I think he does leave, yeah. Anyways, we cut to Gail, Randy, Dewey, and Joel. Gail says, let's just assume that the killer is copying Woodsboro. Gail keeps getting calls and she's hanging up on the people while she's smoking a cigarette and randy says that she started smoking after the nude pictures of her showed up on the internet which is at the time nude pictures of courtney cox showed up on the internet but turns out that it wasn't her body it was her face photoshopped in someone else's body and so here she says that it wasn't her it was just her face on jennifer aniston's body <laughs> you gotta give the reference to her in here yeah exactly so then they start discussing the list of victims uh before sid was attacked in like the first movie so there was tatum there was kenny the cameraman. And then I, I have the question of why does nobody list or care about the fawns? <laughs> no, because he was a principal and no one liked the principal, I guess. Yeah, like just we aren't even going to mention that he was a victim. By the way, nah. nobody realized what his name was, but his name was Principal Arthur Hempley. <laughs> Okay. So it wasn't principal of the Fonz? No. <laughs> oh. Sadly. They they missed an opportunity there, clearly. They they really did. <laughs> so at least name him Arthur or something. <laughs> so Joel freaks out and he runs off not wanting to talk about the murders. Gail says if they can figure out the killer's pattern, they can find out who's next. Dewey says it could be any of them. Gail and Dewey call each other boneheads for some reason. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> 
like I, I just okay sure that's your insult go for it then gail's phone is ringing and randy grabs him instead because he's sick of it ringing and picks up annoyed saying that gail is not there then it's ghost faced online Dun, dun, dun. And he says that he can see them. So Randy tells Dewey and Gail it's the killer and he can see them. Dewey says to keep him on the phone as they look for someone who's on a cell phone. So they start running around the entire campus looking for people on cell phones. I don't know how they thought this was a good idea, but okay. <laughs> it's just, it's such a beautiful scene. Um, This is, so I'm misquoted in our last episode. I said that it was the Scream series that said that Showgirls was someone's favorite scary movie. No, it's this movie. Randy says that Showgirls (laughs) is his favorite scary movie. Gotta love Randy. And then he starts guessing Ghostface's favorite scary movie. And he's just like guessing all these movies that have to do with colleges, like Sorority Row and things like that. Yeah. She said Black Christmas. That's out of college, right? (laughs) Yes, with the two Marges. Yes. Or Barbs. Barbs. Not, I, Barbs. Just the, actress, the actress's name oh, is something. All the Barbs. Man, that's poor script writing. Uh, whoever the writer for that movie was. You need a name. What, what name should we use? I don't know. Mm, my mom's name is like Barbs. Barbs. So is my mom. <laughs> you know what? We can have two Barbs yeah. and we won't address it and confuse people. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God. Okay. So, yeah, he's listing all these college-related movies. Dewey and Gail are grabbing random people and chasing them down because they're on phones. And Ghostface is mocking Randy, saying he'll never be the leading man or hero. Randy then grabs the wrong person again. And then he decides to back up against a van. I think it's Gail's van, the news van. It's Gail's van. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, come on, Randy. Like, do you not remember that Kenny got killed in his van? Like, really? Really, Randy? You should know better. Out of anybody in this movie, you should know better. Exactly. So then at, at this point, Dewey goes running and jumps off of a, like a hill and tackles a guy on a cell phone and Gail like grabs the phone as he's being tackled. Everybody's very cool about being attacked. <laughs> this guy's less cool. He's like, what the? Like, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? But he's still like, he still gets over pretty quickly. Like, All right, fine. Randy's dissing Billy and Stu, and he really starts laying into Billy and what like a psychopath he is and blah, 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 blah. Then Ghostface jumps out of the van and grabs him, pulling him in and stabbing him multiple times, killing him. Then Gail and Dewey run up and they find Randy stabbed to death in the back of the van. There's a ghost face mask on the driver's seat. And I'm just like, I guess like the rest of the attacks happen later this day, but it's 97. DNA testing, you know, it was pretty popular at this time. There was the OJ Simpson trial just a year ago or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, why are you leaving the mask on the seat? That mask definitely has your DNA on it. It's not to walk around in it. I don't know. I think this is her, this is her only kill in the movie. I think everybody else is Nikki. Yeah, I guess this is her only kill because she doesn't end up actually killing anyone in the last scene. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like don't don't leave the mask behind. That's DNA. What what are you doing? Anyways. <laughs> Uh, Joel faints when he sees Randy. We then cut to Sid. She's in the library on a computer and she thinks that her computer froze, but the dude tells her that it's just because she has an IM from someone else in the library because all the computers are interconnected. 
So she opens the message and it says, you're going to die tonight. Sid then stands up shocked and she knocks over her chair as she stands up. So her police detail runs up to her and she tells them that he's here. And then the second message comes up and says, the police can't save you. They tell her to get away from the computer because, you know, the computer's going to attack you. <laughs> it might. Like, she's in the center of the room, sitting beside, like, another person. So, like, she's at her safest here, and instead they get her up away from the computer, and they're like, go hide behind this shelf where there's an open door right behind the shelf and someone could sneak up on you, which, obviously, someone does. It's what happens, yeah. It's so stupid. So Cotton sneaks up on her and then asks her if they can talk outside. And Sid says it's not a good time. And Cotton says he was in prison for a year because of her. So she can give him at least two minutes. Sid says that she's very sorry. And Cotton wants to team up with Sid for fame. He says that Diane Sawyer is interested in an interview. There are book deal options. He can get them $10,000 each just for an interview. And he's being very aggressive and kind of dominating. Like he grabs Sid a few times and he's very domineering over her. And thus, you know, casting doubt that maybe Cotton's the killer this time. Yeah, yeah, that's when this starts. Like, is it Cotton? Is he the killer now? He just wasn't the killer before. So Sid says she doesn't want any more exposure. Like, why did you? And Cotton says he deserves some exposure because Sid dragged his name through the mud. Not for nothing. He makes it sound like she did this purposely, like to get him in jail, like not because she actually thought he killed her. It's because you know what? I'm out to get this guy, and I'm actually going to put him in jail, knowing he's innocent. Wahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahah
Cotton then tries to remind the police that he's an innocent man and he starts being aggressive again. Which makes zero sense. Yeah. So then overhears and she looks very concerned. They decide to let Cotton go. The sheriff or whoever it is says that they don't have anything on him. Cotton then talks very bitterly to Gail about wanting his 15 minutes of fame. She tells him not to do anything stupid, and Cotton gives Sid a business card before uh, the cops usher him off. Dewey then takes the card, saying that, like, what a creep. The cops are talking to Sid and Hallie. Uh, They say that they're going to take them to the dorms to grab clothes, and then they're going to take them somewhere safe. They mention that the campus is locked down. No one is allowed out after dark. Sid asks Dewey if it's not Cotton, then who is it? Dewey says he doesn't know, but they'll find out. We cut to Gail. She's leaving the station. Um, Reporters swarm her again, then immediately switch over to Cotton as he walks out. Cotton suggests that Gail join him for a photo. Gail turns away, disgusted, and Debbie is right there. She asks Gail how Gail is holding up. Gail snaps at her once again, just being like, you're a fucking desperate hack. Leave me alone kind of thing. This is where cameraman Joel quits. I was mistaken before. He didn't quit before. He quits now. And Dewey then limps out of the police station. Gail says that she feels ready. Sorry, really bad. Dewey accuses her of putting on a show. And Gail says, there are no cameras here. I just want to find this fucker. Dewey asks if he can give her a hand and picks up the footage that Joel had left for Gail. Gail realizes that if the killer likes to relish their crimes, then they would be on the tapes. Dewey says it's worth a look. So we then cut to campus at night. Dewey and Gail are looking through a building for a VCR. Find one eventually. They go into like a lecture hall like edit bay. oh they eventually get to the edit bay but that that's later like right now they're in like a lecture hall oh yeah um, that's right so they start making out that's right yeah which has like multiple screens in this lecture hall so they start watching through their footage sorry there's a clumsy dewey and gale romance bullshit like you know like they're both trying to like use the tape player at the same time and like touching hands and whatever stupid setting up their soon makeout. Um, they fast forward through the footage and play the bit where Dewey calls Gail a mediocre writer and is like quoting all of the various lines in her book where she insults him. Gail tells him he's cute when he's angry. And Dewey says he's been rude to Gail so far. And then Gail apologizes, saying she never meant to hurt him. They start a hardcore making out. Gail takes off her jacket. And then suddenly the second TV in the room turns on with footage of Jada and Omar in line at the movie theater where she's talking about how she should be studying and whatever. So it's footage that only the killer would have. So Gail's like, Dewey, Dewey. And we see that like Dewey still has his hand on her boob while she's like, they're staring at the video. So then the video footage continues and we see footage of Cece outside on the porch when she's on the phone. Then we see Randy when he's walking around the campus on the phone. Then footage of them standing in the lecture hall from behind. And I'm like, how is a ghost face projecting this footage onto the old school AV like TV that pull in on the cart into a room. 
how is he projecting it onto this TV without it being like the longest wire in the world to his video camera that he has up in the projection room? Like, I don't, what? This is 1997. Not only that, he went from video that he, of all these people recorded to him live and live and direct. This is why I'm saying like, he has to be playing it off of his video camera. It's not a VCR or something like that. Like it's directly from the camera. But Ghostface is in the projection room. They see him through the window. Dewey runs upstairs and like goes into the room, but then there's no one in the room. And then Ghostface pops up behind Gail somehow on the ground floor. Like they didn't see him run down all those stairs. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's a lecture hall. So there's no like sneaking around. Unless both Debbie and Mickey are in on this particular <laughs> one and they're both in the Ghostface costume. Like, what? Yeah, one comes from the front, one comes from behind. Oh my God, it makes no sense. So Ghostface just like keeps on barely missing Gail as she like jumps over tables and stuff to avoid his stabbing. She then clocks him in the face with a phone, which I loved because, you know, that's what Casey did in the first movie. So I'm like, yes, grab that phone. Clock him in the face. I hope it was yes. Wes Craven taking it again. No, not actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> Dewey then falls down all the stairs as he's trying to like run after her because, you know, this whole movie is just like a sketch comedy of like, how can you be as clumsy as possible for humor? Um, at least it makes sense for Dewey to be uncoordinated. He does have all this nerve damage. Yes. Uh, it makes more sense for him than Ghostface to constantly be falling over everything. Everything. Um, but Gail then runs through the halls and she's looking for an open door. She finally finds one that's not locked and it's a recording studio. So she goes in and then Ghostface, like as she's like walking through the rooms cautiously or whatever, Ghostface is in the control room, which there's this huge window uh, that connects the two rooms. So Gail's in the section. I'm going to call it the studio section where like you would actually do the recording with all the soundproofing and bullshit. And then Ghostface is on the other side where all the controls are. So Gail keeps on like dodging him just barely. She, like for some reason, this recording booth has like hallways of soundproofness. <laughs> Pretty big room for what it is. I don't know why there's all these like random walls that she can hide behind at different angles. Like what? <laughs> it would make sense if it was like one giant room for recording that was soundproofed. But like, why are there all these random walls? Because yeah, now they were recording multiple people at the same time in these in these rooms. Yeah, because the walls don't actually block anything. Like they're all open. Yeah. It just creates these open hallways that are soundproofed. Or maybe know. that's just where they store these, like, because they look like movable little walls. Maybe this is just where they store, because it's a bunch of wires and stuff, too. Maybe it's just storage. Maybe. I don't know. It was just, I was like, where is she? What is happening? I am confused. <laughs> but, okay. So she just keeps on barely missing Ghostface and hiding behind different walls and whatever bullshit. Oh, she goes into another room and she locks, and she closes the door behind her, realizes that it can't lock, and she like backs herself up by this bookshelf and she's very scared. And then all of a sudden, Dewey shows up and he's right behind her. There's a glass wall between them and he's banging on the glass, but it's soundproof and Gail can't hear him and her back is turned. Then Ghostface comes up behind Dewey and attacks Dewey. And this is when finally Gail realizes that Dewey is there and she turns around and watches Dewey being stabbed. Oh, sorry. Dewey had grabbed a mic and he's like, Gail, as he's being attacked. And that's how she found him. 
my question is, which I haven't been any, around any booths like this, so may, maybe they do work this way. So, like, if I'm leaning up against the glass and somebody's be on the other side of the glass banging it, I understand not being able to hear it, but I wouldn't feel the banging either. That's the thing. Like, you would feel and hear it because the glass would be moving in the thing, like, in yeah. within its own frame, right? So, like, it would be making a noise from being banged on. Maybe it would be muffled or something, So, but you would still be here enough to be able to turn around. It wouldn't be, like, dead silence. Yeah. With him banging on the glass. It makes no sense. Okay. Anyways, so she watches as Dewey's being stabbed, quote unquote, to death um, in he front gets, of her. He gets stabbed worse in this movie than he did in the first one. He, they yeah. made to do a number on Dewey in this movie. He's he's doing the thing that Raj fucking hates, where like he starts bleeding out of his mouth because he got stabbed. <laughs> Raj gets uh. so mad every time this happens. He's like, did he get stabbed in the throat? Then why is he bleeding through his mouth? <laughs> Raj should be mad often because this happens a lot in movies. Uh huh. I'm sorry, Raj. I'm sorry because man, he's like the Hulk. He's always angry. <laughs> he's always angry because <laughs> this this irks him. Ooh, I can't go to the movies with Raj ever because he's, you can never can tell. It just might so, happen. Anytime you watch a movie and there's anything like medical at all, he just he can't help himself. He's like, no, no, none of this is right. This is terrible. <laughs> Which will be me in the theater scene shortly. So I guess like, you know. It's only right. You have to argue what you know. Exactly. So then after killing Dewey, quote unquote, Ghostface then tries to get into the room that Gail's in, but she tosses over the bookshelf she was hiding behind and it blocks the door and then he's not able to get all the way in. But then he goes back to the glass and starts like throwing chairs at him and shit and trying to break it. And Gail's like, no, no. And then Ghostface just leaves. Yeah. The end. Well, not the end of the movie, but the end of the scene. Of that scene. <laughs> We got to Sid and Hallie uh, getting their ride from the undercover police officers. They're in the backseat of a police vehicle, which has like the cage divider between the front and the backseat. Derek is saying goodbye to Sid as they're getting into this car. And he's being, once again, creepy Derek, where he's making weird faces. There's ominous music. And then a road fig as they drive away, a road figure sneaks up on Derek. And then a bunch of road figures are there. And it turns out it's a frat thing. They all grab him because they need to punish him for giving away his Greek letters. And how they do this is that they decide to go partying on the play's set, which like, so wait, are all the frat guys theater nerds? Why are they, why do they have access to this theater and these robes and like all that? So maybe they are? Maybe it's a theater. Maybe it's like an acting frat or something? <laughs> like it has to be. And then on top of which, they're trashing the play set. So if they were in theater, then like you guys are fucking assholes. Like, based on the previous scene, you must have been done tech and you're in dress rehearsal. So you're you're opening tomorrow, as far as I'm concerned. That's the only way that this makes sense. And then you're going to go and trash the set. <laughs> Not cool. Maybe they were in dress rehearsals, right? But then, considering there's murders, they shut it all down because they shut down the school or whatever it was. They just put it on the lockdown for the evenings. Just for the evenings? All right. So they wouldn't have a show in the evening, right? They wouldn't be able to go out to the theater and see high art. Yes, right? but they could have matinees. And like, still, That's why true. are you destroying this set? Because you're the ones that are going to fix it. Like, what are yeah. you doing? But anyways, so I forgot to mention earlier in Sid's stupid play scene that at one point, this guy drops from the ceiling tied to like a star so they decide to tie Derek to the star and they're like pouring beer all over him and asking him who he loves, but they aren't like making him drink the beer. They're just pouring just it on pouring him. It on him. <laughs> and he's saying that he loves Sydney, not their frat. Like, I don't Gee, what know. a good guy. It's uh, such a stupid scene. But anyways, okay. 
It is. They had Derek as a red herring the whole movie and then didn't know what to do with him. What else? They could possibly like, man, you're really no use to us now. <laughs> you're not the killer, huh? huh? How do we get rid of you? <laughs> we cut to Sid and Hallie and the cops in the car. Hallie asks where they are taking them and the cops do this stupid thing of like, if we told you, we'd have to kill you. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not funny right now, bro. <laughs> like, People are getting killed. She's actually she's actively about to be murdered or someone's <laughs> trying to actively murder her. Yeah, don't joke about killing her. But anyways, Ghostface then pops up because of course he does. And he breaks the driver's side window and stabs, or sorry, slits the throat of the driver. Then he jumps on top of the car to get over it. And the other cop gets out of his car and then gets his head beaten into the window. And then Ghostface throws him in front of the car, then gets into the car to start trying to drive it. The girls are in the back. They're trying to get out, but the back seats are locked because cop car. Then Ghostface takes over the driving, uh, and the second cop who was thrown in front of the car, he gets up and he's like, ah, freeze, and aims his gun at him. So Ghostface runs him over, and then he jumps onto the hood of the car, and then Ghostface starts crashing into things, trying to get rid of him, and then ends up fully crashing the car. And then we get a cop shish kebab. <laughs> Because I wrote a note, like, so I for- I forgot to write in the main notes that uh, what happened to the cop. So then I wrote in the margin, just don't forget about the cop shush kebab. <laughs> Whatever you just don't. Start with a little star next to it. <laughs> so yes, he gets shush kebabbed with a pole through the head. Well, through his eye, Hallie points out later. And it comes through the windshield and breaking the cage between the front and back seat. Ghostface is knocked out by the crash. So then Sid, because they still can't open the back doors, they decide to pry the cage off and Sid makes her way into the front seat. She first goes to try to take off Ghostface's mask, but she honks the horn accidentally. Luckily, Ghostface does not wake up. And so she climbs over him and gets out of the broken window. She then tries to open the back door from the outside, but she still can't. And so Hallie has to do the same thing and climb over Ghostface. And then they start to run away, but then, uh, not Hallie, sorry. What's her name? I was going to call her Nev. Sid. Sydney? Yeah. Oh, I'm losing it. Okay. Sid. She's like, no, I need to unmask him. I need to know who he is. And like, Hallie's like, no, smart people run. We're smart people. We run. Hallie has a point. No, I'm not a smart person and runs back. This is going to be the one scene where I'm not a smart person. Yeah. So she runs back, but Ghostface isn't in the car. And she's like, she turns back to Hallie. And the Ghostface jumps out behind Hallie and kills her. Then he starts chasing Sid because, you know. It's what he does. (laughs) It's what he does. We cut to Gail. She escapes the room and she runs straight into Cotton, who is covered in blood. He says that it's not what she thinks, that he found Dewey. He was trying to help her. I mean, him and Gail runs away. Then outside, Debbie is on a payphone and she's repeating the latest news to someone on the payphone about, you know, killings and whatever. Gail runs up and snatches the phone and she's like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? And she's like, I know who the fucking killer is. It's Cotton Weary. Debbie's like, really? But like all... Cotton, you say? Yeah, but like the way that she does it is literally how I like just did it where I'm just so fucking fake about it. Like, really? But anyways, back in the theater, the party is already over, I guess. Jewish frat party of all time. Or maybe the party just moved out of the theater to somewhere else. Party's over. Someone turns on the music and the lights from the play and Sid hears it from outside and decides that she should go in. (laughs) 
Because why not? <sighs> oh, Sid, why did you get d- so dumb in this movie? I don't understand. It's sequelitis. I'm telling you, like, she got she got a <laughs> hard case of sequelitis. And yeah, it's, it's no good. It's real no good. But anyways. <laughs> oh, sorry. My next note is how many dumb choices can you make in one franchise, Sid? <laughs> Nah, she did pretty good in part one. Part two, not so much. Well, we'll see what her average is. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So she calls out, hello, it's me looking for me. <laughs> then the blind girl comes out, right? And with a bu- yeah. with a bust of... <laughs> no. Exactly. No. Um, Sid walks up onto the stage and the music cuts. And then a spotlight comes up on her. A rigged set wall comes crashing down. And I'm like, these things are not animatronic for the record. Like, rigging is a skill. I had to take a chorus on it. And then we had to go to a live theater and, like, practice actually dropping curtains and, like, that sort of thing. Like, you don't just fly a wall. Like, it's nothing. It's it's a profession. You don't just know how to do these things. But, yep, somehow Ghostface is just, you know... Letting down all the different cut pieces. Well, Mickey was in the in the stage crew, right? Was he? I thought he was. Wasn't he like trying to hit on uh, the girl, um, the roommate that he killed while Sydney was in the play earlier? No, he wasn't there because he was editing, quote unquote. Uh, that's right. So for some reason, Ghostface has turned into an expert rigger. But sure, sure, sure. Sid then sees Derek um, because they. Oh my gosh, I I've just lost all my words. I'm done. <laughs> they fly in the star that Derek is tied to he flies down and she sees him uh, he's shirtless and tied to the stupid star Derek is oblivious thinking that this is still about all the frat stuff and then Sid says the killer got Hallie now that the killer is here Ghostface comes onto the stage telling Sid not to untie Derek or trust him because history repeats itself. Then we get the reveal that the killer is Mickey and he says, surprise, Sydney, just like Stu, except not with as much flair. But anyways. Well, it is Timmy Oliphant after all. It is. Doesn't have, doesn't have much flair, this man. I mean, he does. Have you seen Santa Clarita diet and that sort of thing? He's, he's I have not great. seen Santa Clarita diet. Everything else I've seen. He's always a sheriff or a cop and everything I've seen him in. Yeah, that's fair. But no, he's really good in that one. He's funny. But anyways. Okay. Where are we? Oh, he's in Die Hard. I like him in Die Hard. Which Die Hard is he in? It's uh, think it's Live Free or Die Hard. The one uh, with um Justin Long? Yeah, Justin Long, that guy. Which I think is it's better than people give it credit for. I'm not saying it's better than the first one, but it's better than people give it credit for. Yeah, my friend was just telling me that the other night that it was surprisingly good. Yeah, like it is actually, you know, it's decent. Like it's decent action. Watch, watch Die Hard, live for your Die Hard people. One day. I mean, I watch the first Die Hard every Christmas. Maybe I should watch the rest of them because I've never seen them. Well, the second one also takes place in Christmas. Oh, but I hear the second one's not good. It's not good, but it also takes place in Christmas. <laughs> Just Okay. <laughs> but yes, okay, so... Mickey says that Derek is his... Oh, that Derek is his partner. Derek denies it. Sydney is doubting Derek. And then Mickey just shoots him in the chest. And, like, this wound is so fake. Like, his chest, like, blows out with this, like, stupid wound. But it doesn't bleed at all. Not a drop. 
Like nothing. It's like a red dot on his chest. That's all it yeah. is. And so it's like, no. And then Mickey tells Sid that she has trust issues. Derek was the type of guy uh, you want to take home to mom if you had a mom. And Sidney tells Mickey oh. that. Yeah. And she's like, fuck you. And then she's like, Billy was a <laughs> sick fuck. Oh, she's calling Mickey a sick fuck, just like Billy. My very vague notes. It's going well. Um, okay. So. <laughs> Uh, Mickey says that Billy didn't want to get caught, but he does. His defense, he's going to blame the movies. The murders are just a prelude to the trial, because these days, it's all about the trial. You know, as I mentioned, Rodney King just happened, OJ just happened. He, he's got a point. Just not the point he thinks he has. It is about the show. It's not like that was going to help him get off from all these murders, but yeah. I mean, it's like one of my favorite Senses Fail lyrics, where it's just like, I choose to be a serial killer because the vic- no one ever knows the victim's names. Yeah, it would have been one of those, yeah. Okay. Yes, it's all about the trial. Sid tries to get away, but Mickey points the gun at her head. And then he starts praising Billy and all that he did. Sid says, you forgot one thing about Billy. I killed him. She then whips Derek's Greek letters at Mickey's face, like somehow injuring him with a necklace. (laughs) Yeah, apparently the Greek letters are sharp or a knife or something. Apparently, I don't know. But yeah, uh, then she kicks the gun out of his hand. They fight. Then he gets the gun back and he pulls out a knife. Then Derek is pulled up back up to the ceiling. And Mickey says, could that be our mystery guest waiting in the wings? And then Gail comes out onto the stage. But then she's very quickly followed by Debbie, who's pointing a gun at her. And Sid stares at her in recognition and goes, Mrs. Loomis? And Gail can't believe that it's Billy's mom because uh, she's seen pictures of her before. And Sid's like, yeah, well, this is 60 pounds later and a lot of work. Well, apparently not enough if she recognized her that quickly. Yeah, fair enough. But And somebody that's seen pictures of her didn't, didn't recognize her, so. I mean, fair. If I had only seen pictures of a person, I wouldn't memorize exactly what they looked like to be able to recognize them after surgery and, like, losing a lot of weight. Like, I forget what we were watching the other day, but we are watching something and Raja's mom was like, doesn't he look just like Dodie, like, uh, Princess Diana's boyfriend at the time of her death. And I'm like, no, he doesn't look anything like him. And then I looked it up I'm like, oh, actually, he does look exactly like him. I just don't remember what he looked like. <laughs> like oh. But yeah, anyways. Okay, so Debbie says that it's called a makeover. And Mickey says he needed financing for the tuition because, you know, tuition's expensive. So he met Debbie on a message board. Debbie says that there are only 97 active serial killers in the country uh, to date. So finding Mickey here was quite fine. Yeah, hey, I got lucky on this one. Yeah. And she's like, he just needed a little guidance and nurturing, just like a mother does. And Mickey says, oh, wait till the trial. It's going to rock. And Debbie says, there's not going to be a trial. And she shoots Mickey three times. And then yeah. Gail once. Gail falls off the stage, apparently dead, quote unquote. Deb says Mickey was a good boy, but his blame the movies motive was dumb. The poor boy was completely out of his mind. Sid's like, and you're not? <laughs> She's like, no, I'm very sane. My motive isn't as 90s as uh, Mickey's. Mine's just good old fashioned revenge. You killed my son and now I kill you. It is simple. Nice and easy. It's 
It's clean. I think it's the most clean motive of any of the killers ever in the screen series. Yeah, because the next one is a little bit complicated. The <laughs> next one gets a wild. little bit. A little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things I remember vividly from the next one was the motive of the yeah. killer. I was like, really? That's what it is? Uh, yeah. Wow, okay. Exactly. Well, we'll get there one day. Um, okay. So yeah. says such that uh Debbie will never get away with it. Debbie says everything traces back to Mickey. She's going to make it look like Sid killed Mickey, but he got off one last shot before he died and it killed her. Sid then tries to run, but once again, Debbie still has a gun and points it at her head. She says, even if the cops figured it out that that there was a second killer, they'll never be able to find her because Debbie Salt doesn't exist. Then uh, Sid tells her she's just as crazy as her son. Debbie says not to speak ill of Billy. Randy did that and she got a little knife happy. She says that she was a good mother and she's sick of everyone saying it's the parents' fault. If Sid wants to blame someone, she should blame her own mother for stealing Deb's husband and uh, breaking up her marriage and her family. So it is the parents' fault. Just somebody's parent. (laughs) Yeah, someone else's parent. Yeah, it's just not me the parent. It's your parent. Your parents, not mine. It's not the way I raised my son. It's the way that your mother was. Exactly. So, huh? She says, you don't know what it is to be a mother, to raise a child, teach him and guide him. And Sydney says, and abandon him. <laughs> like, uh, I, and she's like, wait. She leave him. And she's like, I thought Mickey was supposed to be dead. And this, and it's like a major look moment because Deb goes to yeah. turn being like, wait, what? Mickey's not dead. And Sid smashes Debbie in the head with a beer bottle that was behind her that was left over from the party. Sid then goes and hides behind a false set wall and grabs a fire axe and uh, Debbie like is looking through a hole in the set and sees her like maniacally with the axe. So Sid starts chopping down random ropes and apparently attached to these ropes are lights. May I explain to you how this is not accurate? (laughs) Oh, okay. I was wondering about that, but yeah. So in a theater, you have something called a grid. This is a set of pipes that are on your ceiling uh, and they're in a grid formation over your entire stage. So you can attach your lights with metal clamps and like a wrench to the grid in the spots that you want. You do not attach it with rope. (laughs) Like that is not safe at all. So, so I'm like, you can't plug in the rope for the lights to work? No, no, it doesn't quite work that way. No. Um, yeah, so I'm just like, what is this rigging? None of this makes sense. I'm... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why are they bleeding out of their mouths? This is horrible. I can't take this. Exactly. And then she starts, like, turning switches, and as she turns these switches, they're, like, sparking like crazy, and I'm like, okay, I don't even have to be a theater geek to be like, that's not how switches work, and if that's how your switches are working, <laughs> that's not safe. <laughs> You have bigger problems. <laughs> you yeah. got so many other problems going on here. Like none of this is up to code. What the fuck is happening? Maybe like the plate needed the sparks, the sparking switch. You know, so the switch where it doesn't turn anything on, just makes things spark. But like it's only sparking behind the scenes. Like it's not on stage sparking. It's just anytime she turns these switches, they spark. <laughs> Say, why do you need that? Why wouldn't I? Come on, we need we need sparks. Haven't you ever wanted a spark sometimes? It is. I don't even know. I'm so confused by this. It makes no sense. 
And then also the set is apparently designed to like crumble. Like it's supposed to like, it has hinges so that it like falls apart and stuff. And I'm like, is that part of the, I, I don't understand. I'm going to assume it is. <laughs> I have no other choice. I have no idea what play they're putting on. So maybe I should have looked into that, <laughs> figure it out. But anyways, okay. So the set falls apart and it falls all on top of Mrs. Loomis, but like it, they make it all dramatic and they put in so much sound effect to make it sound like these are actually stones falling on her. And I'm like, this is all clearly made of styrofoam. That That's what you would make a set from. <laughs> it would be wood or styrofoam. And in this case, because they look like rocks, you would use styrofoam and paint it. Like, what? <sighs> so, yes. The wall crumbles and falls apart on top of Mrs. Loomis. Sid then listens for a moment. She hears nothing, so she starts running towards the exit. And Mrs. Loomis jumps up and grabs Sid, and she's trying to stab her. They struggle. Sid climbs back out onto the main stage, and she's narrowly avoiding being stabbed multiple times. Mrs. Loomis is on top of her, and Sid, she has the knife, and she's, Sid is just blocking her from stabbing the knife into her face. She starts reaching for a gun that's slightly out of reach as they struggle, and then a shot fires out, and Debbie stops and turns, and Sid looks as well. It's Cotton Weary. And then he aims the gun at them and asks Sid what the fuck is going on. Sid introduces Billy's mom as the killer and Mickey the other killer. Debbie tries to uh, convince Cotton to let her kill Sidney so that he can be the sole survivor and be famous. And she's reminding him that she sent you away to prison for a year. Personally, I think it's re- it's rather poetic. So Cotton seems to aim the gun at Sydney, saying that Debbie's making a good point. And he says, I bet that Diane Sawyer interview is looking pretty good right now. And Sydney says, consider it done. Debbie looks surprised and Cotton shoots her. And Sid and Debbie fall over. We find out that he hit Debbie, not Sid. Sid then takes the gun from him. Cotton is saying that he would never hurt Sidney. They should get their story straight for the cops. And Sid goes and checks on Mrs. Loomis to see if she's dead. And that's when Gail's hand shoots up from down below the stage and she grabs Sidney. She's alive. Yes, she was shot in the ribs, but she she's fine. It just bounced off one of the ribs. It was fine. Yeah. Cotton helps her off, up. Sydney grabs a second gun. Gail asks for for it. Um, oh, and then I'm like, why is Gail's gunshot wound just a stain on her shirt? There's no hole. There's nothing, like nothing to see, show that there was a bullet. There's just like a stain on her shirt and she keeps on moving. And like, you can see that underneath there's no blood on her skin. It's just a stain <laughs> on her shirt. I did notice it. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, Got lazy on this one. All right. Yep. So then Gail asks if Debbie is dead. Sid says, I don't know. They always come back. Then Mickey jumps up from behind them and they turn around and they both shoot him repeatedly until he collapses. Sid then shoots Mrs. Loomis in the head and says, just in case. Then she drops the gun and they walk away. We cut to the police and the paramedics on campus. An ambulance worker leads Gail out of an ambulance and he's telling her to be careful. She has a couple of broken ribs. And I'm like, what? How do they know she has a couple of broken ribs from her being in an ambulance? They have an x-ray there? like, And also, they don't take her to the hospital to do anything. Like, you were shot. We're not going to check up on you properly at a hospital. No, we'll just, you know, give you a bandage and you go on your way, honey. <laughs> well, they saw that, you know, that there was no, she's miraculously, you know, her, the shirt wasn't even 
pierced from the bullet, so they, should, they there's no need to go to the hospital at this point. Just oh my gosh, I know that the medical system in America is troubling, but this this just seems extreme. Well, you know how much an ambulance ride costs, man. She's gonna go to the hospital. She's gonna get a ride though. She's gonna go to Uber or something. Um, <laughs> I mean, they charge you for for an ambulance here as well. How much do they charge you in America? It's I don't know, I don't know like ten thousand dollars, some ridiculous amount of money. It's like what? some amount of money that makes no, no logical sense. It's like it's like let me, let me Google that real quick. I'm, I'm just I just made a, I just threw a big number. It's like a couple hundred here. Like it's like a hundred and something dollars. Oh God, no! It's a couple. It's a couple grand in that I know for sure. Oh my God! A uh, critical care ambulance is normally eleven hundred dollars per person. Why? Why is it that expensive? I don't know. I literally don't know because they're giving you a ride to the hospital. Like, well, not giving you a ride, but whatever. Even if is, I was yeah. paying each ambulance worker like $100 an hour, like that, that doesn't make sense. Yes, it is ridiculous. And I'm aware that the ambulance workers do not make that much. Like, okay, well, yeah. so Gail's perfectly fine. She just has a couple broken ribs. Um, and then Joel comes running up to her, hands her a mic, and says that he hopes that they can get the scoop like the old days. Paramedics call out that they've got a live one as they're exiting the building. They're bringing Dewey out on a gurney. Gail runs to him, and the paramedic says he's lucky that the knife just went into some old scar tissue. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't seem completely right, but okay. <laughs> and then Gail goes with him in the ambulance. Reporters swarm Sydney, asking what it feels like to be a hero. She tells them to go talk to Cotton instead. He's the real hero. They run to Cotton, and he gives Sid a nod, then tells the reporters that an interview is going to cost them, but it will make one hell of a movie someday. And then once again, we pan out. We see Sydney walking through campus, and that's the end of the movie. Yes. Kai doesn't come off as the good guys. I remember him coming off on in this movie from watching it before. Yeah, I remembered him being the good guy. And Me too. Like, and then watching it now, no, I'm like, he's no. He's a jerk. <laughs> he's like, he's he's horrible. He's not as horrible as the murderers, but still, you know, he's not a good person. He's not great. Yeah. He's, you know, he, he only saves a day because it's gonna, it was going to help him make money at the end of it. And he only decided to do it, which said, well, I'll do your interview, Diane Sawyer. Exactly. He has the gun on the killer and he, he's like, let me blackmail you in this moment. Do you want to live? Do this interview? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Looks like I'm in a highly advantaged position here for some negotiating on this interview thing we were talking about earlier. So completely ridiculous, but oh well, that's the movie. Yes. Oh, <laughs> what are our thoughts? What would we change? What would we make better? How change? could we Jesus make this Christ. better? It's like, like you know how the last one we were like, you know what? I'd make tweak this. I might tweak that. It's basically mm -hmm. a good movie. It's not really much to change to make it better. This one's like, it's like whole market changes. It's like, it's like toss it, start over. Yeah. I'm fine with Billy's mom being the killer. I like that because it's a reference. Yeah, I'm good with that. To like Friday the 13th and all that. Like, I appreciate that. That's good. I don't mind Mickey being the other killer. That's, that's also fine. When they explain the motive at the end that she just found this random guy that's murderous online. Like, okay, sure. Fine. Whatever. But we already discussed that first kill is terrible, or the second kill, I guess. Yeah. Like, well, actually, both. First and second kill. Both. The first terrible. and the second kill, yeah, both. Both are terrible. The CC kill is fine. It's just a kill. It's the thing. It's, the stair thing is actually comical, though. Yeah. Like, it's did not she? Old. Yeah. It's not only because Scary Movie did it, it was funny to start with. It's like, what? <laughs> 
it's funny. That's why scary movie did it. Um, but it's still for it's fine. Like it's it is what it is at that point. Um, the house is so big she didn't have to run up the stairs. I think I think she could have ran out the back door or something. But it's you know that's that's a that's a considering the problems this movie has. That's some that's something you could just leave as is and it'd be fine. <laughs> oh. Sydney picking up people's phones and not her house. Ghostface, Ghostface is apparently psychic in this movie. He knows where people are going to go and be and act and do things like accordingly for this because Randy died, right? Because he happened to walk towards that van and turn on that van because that's where Ghostface was inside the van. Well, that's where Debbie most likely was inside the van. They're in a yard. They're like they're like in a quad or something. It's huge. It's huge like park area. They could have gone in a million directions. And it happened, he just happened to walk that way in order to get killed. It's like very coincidental and stuff. Or like you said, it's impossibilities just happening. And the useless cops. What's the point of even bringing them in the movies? They're going to be that pointless. Yeah. It's almost because they heard me complaining. Like, oh, last time they didn't get any protection. So now they have protection. They're useless, but they're there. Yeah. And like Derek the whole time is just such a, it's a stupid red hair. Like you're not even convinced by the red herring. Like it's like one of those people that is lying to you and just keeps on telling you the lie because eventually you'll believe it if they just repeat it enough. Yeah, and like even Cotton as the red herring also doesn't work for me because like yeah he's fame hungry whatever but like I don't get that he's murderous. Yeah, all of a sudden he like I get it he wants to do the interview with Sydney I get it but there's no reason for him to get all all handsy no we're not handsy he gets all aggressive with her just like shaking her I'm like all right um that's and then gets mad that cops are trying to do something to stop him. Like, why are you stopping me? I'm not doing anything. I'm like, you look like you have murderous intent in your eyes. I don't tell you. Like, why are you arresting me? You know I'm innocent of that other thing, not of what I'm seeing you do now. Like, you know yeah. she's actively trying to be murdered by somebody right now, and you're like <laughs> not being physical with her. What are we supposed for as bad as cops as we are, we still have to do something about this. You understand this, right? Like And then all the dumb decisions that Sydney makes. It's like you've been through this already. Why are you making these dumb fucking choices? This movie really fails in the group, the the group of five, the party of five really fails in this group. Because do you really care about any of them? Absolutely like, not. Ever? Do they ever do anything to make you care? You don't care about any of them except for Randy because you already are invested in Randy from the previous movie. They do not make any yeah. of these new characters worthwhile at all to you. They're just random set pieces. Yeah, they're characters to be killed. That's all they are. They don't really try with the roommate. They kind of do, but they kind of don't. They're like half in, half out. Mickey's not really in the movie that much to then be the killer at the end, if yeah. you think about it. Like, he's just standing around, but he's not really, doesn't have scenes. Yeah. Derek's in it a bunch, but it's just to fool you to thinking he's the killer. That's only he has so many scenes. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. <sighs> yeah, there's there's a lot to change in this movie to try to salvage it. I, I don't know. It's pretty much, it's like, it is a scrap, but at the same time, I'm not like, oh, I would rate this a one. Like, it's not, it's not that bad. Because it's still a coherent movie. The problem is they want to get a pass for making this movie by saying it's a sequel to a slasher movie, so it has to be a bad movie. The thing is, when you do the bad tropes, you're still making a bad movie. Just because you're commenting on doesn't make the movie now good by doing all the bad things, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can't just point out what sucks about a sequel, but not change it. Yeah, like, this was, we're going to do the bad sequel, and then call it bad, so you can't call it bad, because we know it is. I'm like, no, it's still bad. You're doing all the bad things the sequels do. Just because you know you're doing them, it actually makes it worse. <laughs> just need to make it better. Exactly. So what would you rate it? Honestly, I go like a uh, part of me wants to say five. Okay, that's fair. I have, I have six. Yeah. Right now. yeah, five. I was between five and six. I was literally between five and six. 
But I think that when we talked about what we would fix, I think uh, I think it dropped me down to five. <laughs> the, yeah. That little because I could keep on going. This like so many more things. I'm like, oh my god. I'm just. Well, I mean, and even the Debbie thing, they could have been set up a little bit better. Like, it's fine with her being the mom, but maybe show like, oh, when um when she's all over Gail for her to like, to, I want to be like you when I grow up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe she tries to look her up at the freaking um news newspaper that she made up. But like, oh, there is no uh, Debbie Salt reported by that name or something. Oh, that's weird. You know, something not it doesn't have to be something that's over. Just like a little thing like, that's strange. Yeah, I guess as we discussed before, like they didn't have to do that because you were like oh this is an actual known actress therefore <laughs> we already know that yeah. <laughs> like we're set up for her being important um based on who well, she you is did, yeah. outside of the movie well, like, you could fool you could still fool her with the actress thing with her being a known actress by making her more gail weathers like than she actually is making her justice cut they're like oh i saw what you did it was bro i'm gonna do it here and like you know she's playing it up that way it turns more into like gail finally puts her in her place at the end of the movie and establishes that like nope there's only one gail weathers or gail gets killed and like or like doesn't get killed or leaves like the industry or something like that and then she takes over from there like she needs one of those two roles or she's the killer it's like these are the three options that there are there's nothing else that could be happening here yeah you are too well known to be nobody yeah. you know because not joke casting like it like tori spelling and owen wilson and all these people mm-hmm. like that's like that's a joke and a cameo yeah yeah, but, yeah it's a joke cast so like ah, ha, ha, that's, that's funny but that's it. <laughs> and you're not Omar Epps and, uh, and um, Jada Pinkett that just showed up to to do the Drew Barrymore thing because it worked last time. So we're going to do it again this time. Yeah, exactly. But alas. OK, well, overall, though, mm-hmm. this the series is still sitting at a 70 percent so far. Yeah, because the first one's so good. And like I said, I think I said it last week on my memory of watching these four movies. Mm-hmm. This was my least favorite before. Mm-hmm. So as of right now, it's still well out of the two movies I watched. <laughs> so uh, on this rewatch, it is the worst one out of the two. Uh-huh. We'll see what happens when when we do three. It's a lot worse than I remember it being, and so yeah. now I'm curious because I I think I as I mentioned I've only seen three I think twice, and it's been a long time since I've seen three. So. I'll have to see what I feel about three today, but uh, from my memories, I hate three. I I really did. So we shall see. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying three. I'm wondering if I can like take a step back and be less of like I feel like I was watching it as a series and being a snob while watching it of like a little bit of like a horror snob. Whereas if I watch it like we watch '80s campy movies and we're like this is a horrible horror movie, but it's hilariously horrible. Maybe I'll enjoy it more. So I'll try to go in with that mindset and we'll see how we feel. Yeah, Death Spa, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Cheerleader Camp, I'm looking at you. Oh, God, Cheerleader <laughs> Camp was... At least Death Spa was, like, funny. Cheerleader Camp wasn't even funny. It was just <laughs> a disaster. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Cheerleader Camp didn't know what it, wanted, what it wanted to be. It wanted to be a sitcom for... No, that movie wanted to be like a soft minutes. porn porn. That's what that movie wanted to be. They're like, how many boobs can we show in this movie? That was... It did that. And then it became a comedy for a little while. Yeah. For no reason. Like this one of these screwball camp comedies for a little while. And then it's a horror movie like sandwiched in between it. No, it's, oh, yeah, it's that that yeah. <laughs> oh well. Uh, graduation anyway. day, I'm looking at you. Bloody birthday, <laughs> looking at you. 
Oh, you still gotta see graduation day. <laughs> I do. One, that was added. That we gotta see. Uh, for the eighties, uh man, the eighties sitcom intro that it has, and then like <laughs> uh, the zombie makeup at the end. It's it's. Uh. One day we'll get to that. But all right, so our next episode, we are going to be trying together this second episode of Yellow Jackets. And uh, friends, life has gotten our way again. <laughs> We're trying. We're trying real hard. Yet again. Every time that we think that we're back up on our feet, we get knocked down again. So life has been hectic. Sad things are happening, but we're, we're going to keep on trying to power through. We think for right now, the best schedule for us is we're going to release one episode a week. Oh, sorry, we're going to do every other week. What was the plan? Every oh, All right. This is the plan. The plan is we plan to do still since we're doing Yellow Jackets and we're doing these movies. Uh, we plan to alternate weeks. So one week will be a Yellow Jackets episode. The next week will be a movie episode. So that yeah. way the movies take longer to edit. So it's not that bad. Yellow Jackets is since more it's a TV episode. You talk less, incredibly enough. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that way we're not doing two in a week. So we're still we, the plan is to get you guys one a week. It yes. just won't be a movie every week. It'll be a movie, show, movie, show. Is the plan. Exactly. So we hope you'll stick with us through it all. But next episode, mm-hmm. it's going to be the second episode of Yellow Jackets, which it's a good one. It's going to be fun. So... I haven't we watched hope. it yet. Luckily, I was going to watch it last night, but I didn't. And it worked out. So now I'm going to see if it's, I'm going to watch it in time for next week. It's, and stuff. it's, good. it's I, good. I started watching it last night and yeah, I'm excited. But OK, so in the meantime, we hope that you join us again next week. But you can always find us at uh, Series of Horrors on Instagram or Series of Horrors podcast on Facebook. Please join our group. Chat with us. Let us know what you think. Yeah, if you have any ideas, thoughts, we haven't decided yet on what we're going to do after Scream. So if you have any ideas on that, let us know because we're still open on just for that. We haven't um, planned that far out yet, which is weird for us. Usually we're planned out like five movies ahead. But <laughs> we decided to be, after Scream. be a little bit calmer this time and just try to try to get content yes. made <laughs> and sent out as opposed to, <laughs> to planning things way in advance. <laughs> So we are. Um, so we're still gonna see what we're gonna do with that. If you have any ideas for that, we'd we'll love to hear it. Um, also, if you want to email us, we are. We'd be love to happy. We'll be love. We'll, we would be love. Wow. We <laughs> would love to hear from you guys that way. Also, at seriesofhorrors at gmail dot com. Um, anything you guys want to tell us? It'd be awesome. If we get enough, we could do like one of these viewer email sections. We need Ooh. emails first for that. So be nice. Yeah. Um, right now it's just spam and you know I don't think you guys want to hear me read spam that, that would be boring <laughs> oh. yeah so but anyway so next week Yellow Jackets uh, episode 2 then Scream 3 after that so that's tentative plan hope you guys enjoy the return I feel so happy to be back I can, speaking for myself and I think Jackie is as well it does feel so good to be back <laughs> it does it really does <laughs> All right, guys, you have a great week. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Bye.